0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: There has been an awakening. Have you felt it?
2: You're listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the Holonet for news, and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues.
1: Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find I'm full of surprises, It's not over yet. No. There is another.
2: star wars fans welcome to yet another episode of star wars the saga continues your podcast for all the latest news rumors and everything else regarding uh, the upcoming star wars films but of course today we're just going to be talking about rogue one um, in our final episode here of 2016 Uh, the movie is finally out we're going to spoil the heck out of it give it our review and talk all in depth and everything about rogue one a star wars story um so it should be a fun time. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim?
0: Hey, what's up, Kyle? I'm doing great. I don't know about you, but I think this new Star Wars movie a year thing is working out pretty darn well so far. <laughs> I forget movies like The Force Awakens and Rogue One back-to-back. So it, it was great, and I just can't wait for this continuing on in the years to come, because it's working out stupendously <laughs> so far. So I'm excited.
2: Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Um Man, yeah, just like you said, you you really can't have too much Star Wars. Um, well, I mean if they release one new movie a month that might be too much. But when, you know, especially when you're <laughs> oh, alter- <no. laughs> when you're alternating like this between the saga films and then getting to explore these other spin-off stories, um, yeah, I mean so far so good. We're we're only two movies in, but I would say they're two for two so far. So, um, but anyway, yeah, let's let's jump right into it. Um, I know I've seen it twice by now and you said you've seen it three times, so um, some of you may have gotten to uh, check out our uh, roundtable discussion for the Thunderclack Podcast Network that we did uh, this past Friday night um, with our friend Joey Letson from the Um We had a great time then, you know, talking about the movie and stuff right after. I mean, it was the day after we'd all seen it for the first time. So that was kind of our initial reactions. Um, but I'm glad we waited a few days to record this one uh, because, you know, now after having seen it multiple times, I'm sure we'll probably have... Uh, a little bit different perspective, and we've had some more time to sort of analyze and digest it and everything. I don't know about you, but for me, like, the first time I see a new Star Wars movie, it's all just sort of sensory overload. And, you know, I come out remembering, like, a lot of the the cool moments and stuff and, you know, certain things that I loved about it. But it's hard to form an overall general impression when you're thinking so much about you know, uh, what does all this mean, and what's the story, and what's all this new, you know, characters and planets and ships and time period and all this new stuff, and then comparing it to, you know, how does this live up to my expectations, and how does this live up to reviews that I've heard, and, uh, you know, how does the footage from the trailers fit in, and, you know, all these, you know, there's just so much going on in your head seeing this for the first time, so... Um, I don't know about you, but I, in, I actually enjoyed the movie a lot more the second time, um, when you can kind of just put the, the expectations aside, and now you kind of know what you're getting, but you can uh, you know, kind of just relive the experience and just you know, take it in and, and uh, appreciate it for what it is, and kind of just judge it on its own merits, rather than all the expectations you had going in not knowing what to expect the first time.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I did enjoy it more, I wouldn't say a whole lot more, but even more the next time, because after i saw it the first time and i will say i never felt like i did at the end of this movie with any other star wars film before i've seen this one the energy that i i had not just me but the whole theater it was just a buzz in the room after the movie ended and <laughs> with how it ended with that vader sequence and how it leads directly to a new hope it just created this great vibe and atmosphere in the theater so i was on cloud nine right after that it, it ended with a bang it just left you with this excitement and just couldn't wait to it's like this, if you didn't have a new hope it was beware man i can't wait absolutely wait to see what happens next but thankfully we can all just go home pop in the blu-ray or watch it digitally and you can't see what happens next mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just had that feeling afterwards but um when i started to reflect on it and digest it there were certain elements about it that were kind of bugging me and just I felt it didn't leave the same impression that the force awakens did after I left left the theater the first time with that, but like you when I saw it again, just you know knowing what to expect, taking everything in in a new light kind of in a way when you're seeing it again, it did I did enjoy certain aspects where maybe I felt were lacking in certain areas it did come to terms with them on the second view and just kind of accepting for what it is and while I still have some issues with it. I'm ready to call it a great movie or a great Star Wars movie, just a great movie period when the first time I saw it, it was just really, really good. But seeing it, the more I see it, which was uh, three times, like you said, it's getting better every time. And like I said, I'm ready to call it a great movie. So it's <clears throat> one where, I don't, don't want to do this throughout the whole show and compare it too much to The Force Awakens, but they're totally different because especially just in terms of impact. And like we said on the last episode when we're excited about it and now we can't really put it up there with force awakens excitement and anticipation just beginning. That was the first new line of star Wars movies in 10 years. So, and like I said before too, going into this new era of getting a star Wars movie every year and this being the first standalone movie, not part of the saga films. I think it hit it out of the park in that terms, as far as making it a success and paving the way and showing Lucasfilm that yes, they can do these stories that are separate from the saga films and not have to worry about will, will audience and fans, how will they react to it? Can they, you know, really embrace the new Star Wars film that has totally brand new characters that aren't connected to the Skywalkers at all or the other main characters from, we're familiar with? And thankfully, the characters in this movie, pretty much all of them, are great. And one of my issues the first time I saw it was that I didn't feel the same way about the main characters like I did Ray Finn, and Kylo Ren the first time I saw them because... I was immediately invested in them and just couldn't wait to see where they go next. But with this one, they were good. I just felt we needed more of them in the movie, whether it was, you know, a scene or two here and there mixed in between other sequence that had, that built more of the character dynamic for some of them. But i um, seeing it again. Um, I guess just knowing what to expect. And also I got to admit too, going through some of the books and <laughs> like the visual guide that uh, paints the backstory and know certain knowing the history already too, for certain characters helped, A second time too when you're seeing it to kind of accept yeah i did get invested with them more and uh really felt for them kind of what happens to everybody at the end more so on repeated viewings and i'm sure that helps because the more you see the movie the more you're familiar with the characters you enjoy them uh, certain ones more than others so the more you see i think helps too where you're just invested with it in case you weren't the first time you saw it so all those things played into it on repeated viewings and I know I'm going to have a lot more, <laughs> a few more the theaters, and when it comes in Blu-ray, it's just going to be great to watch it. So mm-hmm. it's definitely going to be, I don't know where I place it yet, but it's definitely going to be up there with all the other Star Wars movies. It's not like the black sheep of Star Wars films, because it's not part of the sagas where you got all those, and then you got Rogue One. It's mixed in there, just don't know where exactly it's placed yet so yeah in the end it's a big success
2: yeah well and i think you know we talked about this on the round table too that like it's hard to place it among the saga films just because it's a different type of story and and going back and um telling a story that's you know a, a prequel but it's not what the prequel trilogy was where it's exploring a different time period and you know showing the beginning of darth vader i mean this is like a direct prequel to a New Hope, and so it's kind of more of a, um, you know, a bit of an add-on in that sense. Like, and it's it's something new and different in terms of just like the the storytelling and the the way that they're approaching this. Like, it doesn't. I, I don't feel the need to try to rank it within the saga films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it it might be better than some of them for some reasons, but, you know, it's like, obviously, you're not going to have, you, you can't compare, uh, like, a climactic battle uh, in a lightsaber duel with a villain from one of the other movies to anything like that in Rogue One, because there isn't anything like that in Rogue One. Um, you know, it's not about Jedi and the Force and saving the galaxy, it's about a small, you know, band of rebels, um, you know, coming together to, you know, to just, um you know, take a stand against the Empire and try to, you know, get these Death Star plans, and it's, you know, I, I don't know, it, it to me, just feels, I don't want to say feels out of place with the rest of the saga, because it, it felt like it fit right in, and it was a great addition to the story, I thought, um, but just, you know, it feels... I want to say it feels unfair to try to compare Jin up against characters like Luke Skywalker. But that's not to say that she's not a great character in her own right. It's just, you know, because this is also just a one-and-done story. And uh, again, spoiler alert, you know, obviously we'll talk about this more later. But none of the characters in this movie make it out alive. um, Except for, like, Vader and Tarkin and the characters that we already know are going to be in the original trilogy. So, you know, it's like you've got characters that you, you know, only get one movie to to get to know and watch versus characters that you spend a whole three or six movies with, like, it's just not quite on that same level. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, as as far as just the, the overall impressions and the repeated viewings and stuff, I mean, kind of like you said, um, there were some little nitpicks and things that I had with, uh, with Rogue One seeing it the first time that I didn't even really notice the second time, um, or that didn't bug me nearly as much as they did the first time. Um, the CGI Tarkin still bugged me a little bit, but not as much as it, pro- as I probably sounded like it bugged me when we talked about it on the round table. So, um,
0: yeah, that was one of my uncertainties going in because I didn't know he was going to be in it beforehand. People were vague about it like in the reaction and Twitter responses They're not saying who it was but they're saying there's some certain CG effects that don't quite work And I knew mm. what they were talking about. So, yeah, I did too. I was of,
2: like, oh, that's got to be Tarkin, right?
0: Yeah, I was preparing myself and by the way, I should own up to this um, Talking about this like I don't remember when but when that rumor first came up that they're gonna recreate Tarkin CG and It's gonna be the most expensive effect shot ever and I just kind of blew it off like I don't think so I don't think they're going that route <laughs> not for this so. I will raise my hand and said I was dead wrong about that one because it definitely was in the movie. And I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised by how he looked. Yeah, it, did, it was surprising when he first turned his head and you see Tarka there. And yeah, it's not quite as realistic, of course, as the natural human actors that are in there. But I think they did a great job in the end. And as you see more of him, I think the better it looks and just maybe you're just getting used to it by the his last... Appearance in the film. It's just almost almost looks spot-on and you just know this technology is going to improve in the future Maybe by five or ten years now it will be perfected but I think when that time comes we're all gonna look back at Rogue one as saying, you know This was the start kind of like how Jar Jar was the forefather of like motion capture <laughs> Performances and then you got Gollum after that and then it's everywhere now I think Tarkin's gonna be that character for this one where he was the first, you know fully CG recreated <clears throat> A character that was based off an actor who is no longer with us anymore. So, who knows of any? Like I said, this is going to almost start a revolution probably years down the line. Where if there's a studio that wants to remake a movie with an old actor who's not with us anymore and is passed on, it's not going to be so far fetched now. And you can all thank the geniuses at ILM for doing what they did with Tarkin here. It's not 100% yet, but. It's going to get there, and I think this is the first step. So I was pleasantly surprised with Tarkin. I thought it was a win when it's all said and done, where, yeah, just a little bit to get used to at first, but for me, anyway, um, even on the first viewing, and, of course, on reputed viewings, I really don't even think about it anymore. A testament to that was uh, I saw it with my mom last night, and when I asked her about, did you notice, did you know he was CG? She's like, no, I didn't. I, I thought, like, how is this actor still alive? I didn't <laughs> know he was still around. So I love did its job, I know, for my mom and probably other people not really noticing it. So hats off to them on there.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking about it starting a revolution, though. I'm like, is that really a good idea, though? Like, even if they perfect the technology to the point where you can't tell, it's like, eh, I don't know. That kind of still takes away... Yeah, and I I don't mind them doing it here in Rogue One because it makes perfect sense to the story to have Tarkin in there, um, but I think you know I I really hope that doesn't become a trend where they just, they do that you know every movie has you know some dead person in it that's you know still walking around and it's like I can easily see that becoming a situation where you got to quote uh, Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park where he says you got so preoccupied trying to figure out whether or not you could,
0: you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should. (laughs) I know. You're right. It all depends on, of course, the story is the most important thing. But, yeah, I just know these movie studios are just going to be chomping at the bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) once this gets more, you know, perfected and becomes the norm that they're going to want to reuse, like, look on past nostalgia and that effect for maybe where they couldn't before because of actors not being around anymore so yeah you're probably right where they most of the cases they probably shouldn't but i think we're gonna see it regardless and hopefully there's more uh, cases where it turns out to be the benefit of the movie and not just you know a gimmick or just a uh, to get people in the seats and that's the only thing that's remarkable about the movie because Tarkin was not the most (laughs) memorable thing in Rogue One there's tons of other great stuff so that's why it worked really good in this case
2: yeah um so anyway I feel like we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here so let's back up and just kind (laughs) of you know recap the story briefly we'll talk about um you know the story as a whole and then uh you know some of the characters and the action moments and the villains and you know kind of just break it down that way um So obviously, uh, Rogue One, you know, is the story of the rebels who steal the Death Star plans, um, and starts off with no crawl, um, which I thought was, you know, was an interesting choice. But I also, I kind of wish they had had something there to just kind of set the scene, because just from people that I talked to, like over the weekend, like as the movie was coming out, like talking to my boss at work and some other people, I was like, I'm surprised how many people you know, despite all the the trailers and stuff, still don't know that this movie takes place before A New Hope or that it's not, um, you know, doesn't take place after The Force Awakens, that Ray and Finn aren't going to be in it, uh, stuff like that. And so I'm wondering, like, you know, how many people went to see this movie over the weekend and were just confused? Um, of course, I'm sure most people probably were able to figure it out. You know, at some point, given the fact that there were still, you know, stormtroopers and X-Wings and they're talking about stealing the Death Star plans and stuff. So, um...
0: yeah, I agree with you. When I first saw, it, I was like, oh, man, they're just jumping right into this thing <laughs> because I knew, like you said, we knew there wasn't going to be a crawl, but thought maybe there'd be something to offset that, you know, just to have another introduction that's special to the standalone movies, which I was kind of hoping for. And I don't know, we'll see if we get that later on, but it was a little weird scene to just start and you're seeing the scenes play out. Because mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking maybe they could do something like how the James Bond film start, where he's just walking across the screen, he turns and shoots the camera and it starts bleeding. Not that way, of course, but mm-hmm. some little Have intro scene that. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was thankful that it was a prologue. It was a true prologue because... Um, after Saw tells Jin, you know, we got a long ride ahead of us, we do see a title screen of saying Rogue One, which Mm -hmm. was different from all the other logos they've been showing on, like, the trailers and posters. It was kind of similar to the normal Star Wars font and logo, but a little different. So I did like how it was a true prologue. And talking to our friend Paul Herman about this over the weekend, where I was kind of telling him how "Uh, I was fine with it, but it still felt a little off not having a crawl. But it kind of made me feel better about it, saying, but you're actually seeing the crawl, Take place because what happened in the beginning of Rogue One and that prologue could have easily been in a normal crawl for a Star Wars movie But in this case, we actually got to see it, which was cool because I love that opening It was really good and set the stage up. So that made me feel better about it. And then with anything with uh, Seeing something new that we're not used to it's just gonna take a little while to get accustomed to it And this is another one of those things where on reputed on repeated viewings. It's starting to feel more natural
2: Mm Mm-hmm yeah no definitely i mean i i think yeah i mean that's it is kind of like the crawl having that prologue there but at the same time i think you definitely need to see that and not just read about it um you know i i liked seeing the young jinn and her whole backstory play out and you know the connection between uh her father and krennic and all that because obviously that all comes back into play in a big way later in the movie um but yeah so we start on uh Do we ever find out the name of that planet? Actually, yeah, I'm sure uh, you know because you know you've got the visual guide and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Lamu. That's another thing about that was different about the movie, where it tells you the names of the planet and what it is. Now I'm trying to remember if it said that. I don't think it.
2: I I don't think it did. Um,
0: Okay, because no, there's another planet they didn't show the name of. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) later, (laughs) but
2: that's because we know what that one was.
0: (laughs) But they did have it for Yavin Four too.
2: That's true. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we see uh, Krennic's shuttle arriving on this planet and him and his death troopers coming out um, and meeting, you know, Galen Erso on his farm and he tells his wife and Jin to go hide. Um, and, uh, you know, Jin's probably, I don't know, like seven or eight at this point. Um, and you know, Krennic tells Galen, You're coming with us, and we gotta finish the Death Star project, and yada yada, and uh his wife tries to stop Kranick from taking him and the death troopers shoot her and Jin is, you know, hiding and watching the whole thing unfold. Um and then goes and hides in a little you know, in a cave in some little you know, hideaway hole and Saga comes and rescues her. Um and meanwhile, you know, Galen gets taken to, to work for the Empire. Um, And then years later, you know, we see Jin as an adult, obviously, um, in an Imperial labor camp. And she's, you know, been arrested for, you know, all the things that you heard uh, the Rebels listing off in that first trailer, pretty much. Um, And then, of course, the Rebels come to break her out. Uh, Well, actually, I guess the scene with Cassian was before that. Yeah. Yeah, because we see... And I'm not going to go through, like, every scene in order. You know, we're kind of just... And go through the gist of it here, but um, you know, we meet Cassian, who's the rebel intelligence officer, and meets with a contact, um, on you know, this asteroid space station. And uh, this guy's saying that there's an imperial pilot who defected and has a message from Galen Erso about uh, some doomsday weapon that the empire is building, and uh, then Cassian surprisingly uh, kills this guy because. Uh, Well, first, a couple of stormtroopers come to investigate. Cassian kills the two stormtroopers. um, And then one alien happens to see it and goes running away and alerts some other stormtroopers. And they're coming, and Cassian's informant has, like, a busted arm, so he can't climb out of this alleyway like Cassian can. And so rather than let this guy get caught and, uh, you know, give away information that's going to compromise the rebellion, Cassian just executes this guy on the spot, which... I know it was surprising for a lot of people and was surprising for me. But immediately I was like, oh, okay, I can see why, you know, we've been hearing things about him, you know, maybe doing some morally questionable things or how this movie is going to sort of explore the morality of like the rebellion side of things. Um, Because I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, seems terrible to, uh, you know, just shoot an innocent guy in the street like that. But then it's like, you know... Is is it worth it when you're comparing that to, uh, you know, if he doesn't shoot that guy, maybe we don't get to alert the Alliance about the Death Star plans or, you know, like, you know, maybe the Death Star goes on to not be destroyed and wipes out a bunch more planets, you know, it's like one of those kind of uh, those moral dilemmas where he obviously has to make unfortunate choices for the greater good um and then you know we kind of see that play into uh, come into effect a lot more in the movie later as well but that immediately set him up as an interesting character for me
0: yeah i totally agree i had the same reaction that you did I was like oh man <laughs> i've heard about some of that stuff about casting doing questionable things but i wasn't expecting that in the way he did it and who knows that could have been his mission all along too to get the information and take him out because as we know earlier he got orders from the general too to Take out Galen urso so maybe he was all all part of his plan to take him out once he got the information. But I just love this aspect that the movie created. It's one of my favorite things about it. Where not only for casting as a character that you get invested in, but just the Rebel Alliance in general. I mean, the fact that they weren't displayed as just, you know, all the uh, clear cut good guys and the Empire is just pure evil. The Rebels had their dark moments, too, and we got to see it in this movie. Mm-hmm. And we got to see it in that scene, and that theme played out throughout the course of the movie. And I thought it had a great payoff at the end, which I'll get into once we get there. But I just love that whole aspect of shedding this new light on the Rebels of how, you know, they got their hands dirty, too, and did some questionable things that uh, made you scratch your head a little bit and wondering, you know, or, <laughs> or like should you be rooting for them in this type of thing? But that just makes for more compelling story and more realistic too because you know this is a war here and both sides are going to have to do things they're not proud of so it definitely made for a compelling conflict with Cassian and the rest of the rebels in certain moments so I just love that this movie brought that into the forefront
2: yeah definitely and I mean I thought it made perfect sense from a story standpoint too because um I mean I'm not saying I necessarily like what Cassian did or that I would have done the exact same thing in his shoes like I'm glad I don't have to make those kind of calls but It makes sense that, you know, with the rebels being the underdogs, like, yeah, they're going to have to do everything they can to, uh, you know, to try to get any kind of advantage over the Empire. And when they get that advantage, you know, when they get some information or a, a spy who defects or, you know, get plans to a secret weapon or something, and then they've got someone who's a liability who could possibly, you know, compromise that advantage, like, you know, again, it's like logically without kind of taking you know the the moral compass into effect it's like you know big picture wise it's like yeah it kind of made sense for him to take that
0: guy out yeah, and um, let's be honest that guy looked like he would talk no problem oh yeah fire he yeah captain, definitely so. <laughs> i was
2: like this guy seems kind of sketchy um but yeah so i mean not that i'm in favor of the heroes, just you know killing people, but I'm just saying I can totally understand why he did it, and it, you know, in, in the context of the story, it totally made sense. Um, and at the same time, like I said, you know, it set up an interesting, you know, moral conflict for him right here, and then going forward as well. Um, so then, obviously, that leads to the rebels uh, breaking Jin out of prison, um, and bringing her back to the base on Yavin Four and giving her the whole briefing about um, you know, this message that they had gotten from, you uh, well, you know, they had caught wind that an Imperial pilot had defected and was looking for Saw Guerrera and had a message from Galen Erso, um, which, of course, the pilot turns out to be Bodhi Rook. Um, and I thought that was pretty interesting, too, because from just what we knew about the characters before the movie, um, I just sort of assumed that Bodie was going to be just part of this rebel crew. Like, I thought he was maybe going to be the one piloting the ship from the beginning or something. Um,
0: See, I thought they were just going to bump into him or something on Jeddah. And like, yeah, Yeah. I'm like, I'm defecting. Can I tag along with you guys? But yeah, it was a lot more better than, than it actually played out in the movie than what I thought in my head. So that was cool.
2: Yeah. I mean, he's kind of the, um, yeah, the, the catalyst for the story in a way, because he's the first person that they're going after who has this information. Um, and then of course ends up actually, you know, joining the crew and, you know, piloting the ship for their mission later on. But, um, you know, so then uh Cassian and Jin and K2 they all uh take off for Jeddah, um looking to meet up with Saw Gerrera and they're you know just kind of walking through the streets of Jeddah and suddenly Saw's rebels ambush a group of stormtroopers and um you know a big fight breaks out and everything. Where Cassian ends up shooting one of the rebel guys because he's about to drop a grenade on a tank with a bunch of stormtroopers around it that Jin happens to be hiding behind. So he's like, you know, saving Jin by taking this guy out. Um, but the rebels aren't too happy about that. So they take them all captive. Um, of course, this is also after they meet with uh, Baze and Chirut. Um, and, you know, of course, Chirut gets his awesome action scene where he takes out all the stormtroopers with his staff and then gets probably the funniest line of the movie (laughs) when they all get captured by saws guys and they're you know putting bags over all their heads so they can't see where they're going when they take them to saws hideout and they put one over the blind guy cheer face and he goes are you (laughs) kidding me i'm blind as they're dragging him off screen with a sack over his head
0: oh great no matter how i think crowded or or not crowded. Your movie theater is when you see it. Everyone will be laughing once they see that for the yes. first time. It was a, erupted with laughter in the whole theater the first time and continuing on since. It was a yeah, great
2: yeah. I mean, oh man, the first time I saw that, I was laughing for what felt like a solid like two minutes afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was already onto the next scene, and I was still chuckling about that. Yeah, because um, obviously, I mean, I was kind of expecting. Going in, that Chirut and K2 were going to be my two favorite characters, but I thought Chirut was just going to have all the awesome action scenes and K2 was going to have all the best, like funny lines. Um, and obviously, in the grand scheme of things, yes, K2 was definitely the more comic relief character than Chirut was, and Chirut did get some, you know, awesome action moments, but that was probably the single funniest moment of the movie for me.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm sure a lot of people would too. <laughs> it was <laughs> great.
2: Um, but anyway, so they go to uh, Saw's hideout, um, and of course, the whole reason they that the rebels sent them there in the first place was because they knew that Jin um, had known Saw Guerrera as a child, and you know, because Saw is like this radical guy who they think is you know a little like violent and unhinged, and they're afraid that. Uh, you know, he'll, like, shoot the other rebels on sight if they try to, you know, come to him to get the information. So they just want Jin to basically get them in the door and get a meeting with him and then find out this information about Galen Erso. Um, And Jin, meanwhile, is still kind of not interested in this whole rebellion thing. Um, And because the rebels broke her out of prison, they're basically like, hey, you do this for us and we'll let you go free and, like, erase your record and everything. Um, So she's still just kind of in this for herself. And she's like, okay, I brought you guys to Saw, you know, and, and once this is all... Done, and you know, all over. Like, I'm out of here. Um, well, then she sees the message from uh, that um, saw got from Bodhi, um, which is you know, a hologram of her father talking about how, um, you know, he's like been gone with the Empire all this time, and of course Jin likes to pretend he's dead because she basically just just wants to ignore the fact that her father is actually out there still alive like building weapons for the Empire. Um, But you find out that her father actually has still been kind of trying to resist by just blending in and playing the part and helping them build the Death Star, but that he was the one who actually intentionally designed the flaw of the thermal exhaust port, um, which I thought was kind of... Like, I guess at first I was a little unsure about it, because I was like... Really? Well, I mean, I I mostly liked it. At first, I guess I was just a little iffy, because I was like, does this take away from Luke's victory at all? Like, you know, just the fact that the Rebels were able to find this exhaust port, and then Luke was the only one who could hit it, you know, using the Force, and he could bullseye womp rats and whatever, like this kid's got skills. But then we find out like, oh, but the only reason he was able to hit it in the first place was because somebody put it there on purpose. But, you know, especially after seeing it a second time and the more I've thought about it, I'm like, a, I think it makes sense perfectly within a story context. Like it doesn't, I don't think it takes away from Luke's victory at all. If anything, it solidifies the fact that this really was a group effort, that this is a rebel alliance, and that, you know, in a sense, Galen is even a part of that, even though he's not a member of the rebel alliance. He's, you know, the Empire's top scientist, but the fact that, you know, all these people had to, you know, collaborate on all these sort of moving parts and all these different pieces of the mission. Like, one person couldn't blow that Death Star up by themselves. You know, even Luke couldn't do it without all the other pilots that were there at the Battle of Yavin. But now we know they never could have done it in the first place without Galen Erso spending all these years of hard work, you know, trying to, uh, you know, blend in uh, in the Empire and not make, you know, make any make sure nobody suspected anything um while meanwhile he placed this tiny little flaw that nobody would notice unless they were looking for it um and he basically explains to Jin in this message that you know everything we know about this from a new hope like it's a you know small exhaust port that leads to the reactor and if you hit the reactor with any kind of pressurized explosion it'll start a chain reaction that'll shut down the whole system and You know, obviously, that's exactly what happens. Um, And it also fixes what some people have seen as the, you know, a a giant plot hole in Star Wars for years, which never bugged me. But I've heard a lot of people be like, oh, my gosh, why would the Empire build this giant battle station Uh (laughs) and then build this small little hole into it that can destroy it, you know, in one shot? And I'm like well, they said it's an exhaust port. We know this thing has engines and somehow can travel to hyperspace, which it does in this movie, but we never actually see it, which I was kind of hoping they maybe would have shown how that works. But I'm like, it always kind of made sense to me. Like, yeah, the you can't build a moon-sized space station and not have some sort of, you know, exhaust port or a hole on the, the, the outside or, you know, like the entire... Even, you know, just the fact that you know, this thing is gonna be built by creatures who can, you know, make mistakes and whatnot. Like I, I wouldn't expect the entire thing to be impenetrable and foolproof anyways, just thinking about it from like a realistic perspective. But for the folks who have had a problem with that, well now you know um that hole was you know, it, it was sabotage basically. Um, And again, it was something, you know, kind of brilliant in the way that Galen designed it in that it was so tiny that, you know, the Empire would never notice or if they did, they probably wouldn't think anything of it. Um, And that, you know, nobody would really find that unless they were looking for it. You know, it's not like a whole rebel fleet is going to fly and be like, all right, let's attack the Death Star. Look for a little two meter hole on the surface of that thing. Like, good luck with that. You had to know where that was. Yeah. And so he, you know, he kind of took a big risk because, like, if the Empire had found out about that and, you know, killed him or something, like, nobody would have ever found that thing. Um, But just the fact that he was able to get that message out um, and, you know, and the Rebels were able to to find the Death Star plans and obviously, you know, all of this leading up to the chain of events that we see in A New Hope, like, it's, you know, it's kind of cool knowing that even though Luke was the big hero, he was the one who finished it off, that it really was sort of all the the achievements of all these different people, you know, fighting the empire in their own kind of way, you know, just sort of building on top of one another.
0: Yeah, um, and I was thrilled when I heard Galen explain that because yeah, it never bugged me when I saw A New Hope that how can the empire, you know, forget to <laughs> cover that one little flaw in that exhaust port? But at the same time, I'm glad that it won't be the butt of a joke for the Empire and their incompetence anymore. Because that got (laughs) annoying. (laughs) Like, oh, the big bad Empire, they built this huge battle station. But they forgot one little thing. Knowing that it was designed by Galen Erso as a trap for them, for it to be destroyed, I think this makes it even cooler. And like you said, it never occurred to me, even when I saw it the first time, that it would take anything away from Luke. But Luke is the ultimate culmination of Galen's grand revenge. He's, (laughs) like he put it in the hologram. And as han solo said that's like a one in a million shot so luke was going to be the only one to make that shot so it takes nothing away from him i think but i disagree what you said there just adding to the overall story and how there is different unsung heroes in part of the rebel alliance now that we get to look to and remember when we're seeing a new hope that's what makes rogue one so cool and we watch a new hope which I'm kind of mad at myself. I wanted to see it this whole past weekend after I saw the movie, but things kept coming up where I haven't seen A New Hope yet since I've seen Rogue One, but I'm going to change that this weekend, I promise, (laughs) because I just can't wait to watch it with new lenses now, knowing what happened in Rogue One. So that's going to be cool in that sequence too, when you see Luke blow up the Death Star, knowing that it was Galen Erso who put it there all along exactly for that moment it just adds so much more great layers to the an already great story of star wars and a new hope in particular so i love that and then just that scene in particular where Jin's watching her father who she hasn't seen in 15 plus years it was just great acting by felicity jones there seeing the emotion on her face as she starts crying when she's seeing her father uh, for the first time in that long and hearing how much he missed her and doing all this for her to protect her but at the same time too knowing that she could entrust her too if she did get this that message to do what needed to be done and another one of my favorite aspects of the scene too as you're hearing galen's message and talking about the death star and the plans or the trap that he laid for it you're seeing you know the empire and the death star gunners and all the imperials they're ready to fire on Jeddah. the way you were seeing that visually but yet hearing Galen's speech and the music that was playing there, I thought it was beautifully done and directed by Gareth Edwards, the way it was edited together that way. Mm-hmm. It just made for a really impactful scene once you see the laser <laughs> fall down on Jetta and, and you know, knowing you're seeing it for the first time, but as you know, diehard Star Wars fans have seen A New Hope, millions of times knowing where it's going to lead to in the end it all just fits together so nicely and that in a natural way too so i just love that moment even just from an editing film uh, directing standpoint too i thought it played out beautifully
2: yeah definitely i mean kind of both of those sequences the two times that you see the death star fire uh in this movie are you know juxtaposed with yeah. some really nice emotional moments um, yeah, that,
0: this one was kind of like the tease for what was going to be a, a fantastic and beautiful ending, too. Yeah. So it's kind of like setting the bar up a little bit and then it's going to cultivate into what we got at the end. So yeah, it was a nice little <laughs> tease there.
2: Yeah, I, and I definitely have to say this movie has probably some of the best emotional moments and some of the best overall like performances um, mm-hmm. just from the, the actors, I would say, of any of the Star Wars movies so far. Um, and I think... I mean, part of that, I think, is beautifully reflected in the music, too. I think Michael Giacchino did a fantastic job with this. Um, And after, you know, having seen the movie twice now, but also having listened to the soundtrack multiple times, um, I can safely say, like, I I just love the music for this movie. Yeah. Um, I remember
0: you and me were geeking out over those preview clips we got on our last episode and saying how much we like it and it's fitting with the sound of Star Wars and The New Hope. And I had that feeling, too, at the beginning of the movie, but I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe I was just either not paying attention to it as much as I should, but nothing kind of since the beginning stood out to me as much when I first saw it, but seeing it again and then really listening to the soundtrack a lot more, I'm getting kind of hooked on the soundtrack and really appreciating it for what it is. It's a good, solid Star Wars score. That's not by John Williams, and got to give props to Michael Giacchino for that. Like you said, my favorite music from this soundtrack and from the movie are from the more emotional scenes like this one and then at the very end because probably my favorite track is your father would be proud which is the mm-hmm. music that plays at the very end sequence so yeah gotta give props to michael giacchino for filling in nicely for <laughs> john williams being the first composer to do a star wars movie other than john williams i thought he did a really good job
2: Yeah, definitely. But I also think, I mean, it's the music, but it's just the way that all of these elements are blended together. It's when you've got Mm -hmm. this nice, soft, you know, music going along with like an impactful emotional scene. But then you've got that intercutting with the Death Star about to, you know, wipe a city off the face of the planet. Um, And somehow it all just works really well. And so obviously, yeah, Jin is seeing this message from her father and he tells her that um you know you need to tell the rebel alliance about this you need to get the plans to the death star um and specifically you know the plans for the reactor module which will detail you know this trap that i've laid out and it's in uh the vault at the imperial base on scarif and then you know right then the message cuts out because the ground is starting to shake from this you know massive explosion off in the distance from uh you know, the Death Star having just fired. And, you know, I like all the ways that they kind of had to compromise the story a little bit to fit within the continuity of A New Hope, but at the same time, ways that it just worked for the story too. Like the fact that in both instances here, when the Death Star fires, they they say you know single reactor ignition only. Like we, I, yeah. I think Krennic has a line like we need to make a statement, not a manifesto. Um, or actually, I think it's Tarkin who says yeah. That. Tarkin. Like, Krennic wants to blow up the whole planet, and yep. uh, Tarkin's <laughs> like, no, we need a statement, not a manifesto. You know, single <laughs> reactor ignition only. You know, just wipe out the city.
0: I like that little exchange they had beforehand, where Krennic saw you would think the Emperor and Lord Vader would be here for this grand achievement. Target <laughs> like, oh, I thought I'd sta- sta- uh, spare you from the embarrassment that yeah. might happen.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then I also love there's there's just a nice little touch there when they're preparing to fire, and it's just such a sort of classic imperial moment, I guess you could say. And then Krennic putting his own twist on it that shows you how he's you know different from all the other imperial officers around him and it's just you know a bit more fiery tempered and less interested in sort of the the bureaucracy and the um, I don't know the the properness of you know that guys like Tarkin have about them um, and it's when you know they they make the preparations and then they're all standing on the bridge you know watching and uh, this guy comes up and stands behind Krennic and he's like you know so everything is ready to you know the the weapon is primed and we you know await your come and Krennic just cuts him off and just waves his hand and is like fire yeah. you know it's <laughs> normally you'd be like you know you'd expect him to come up and be like you know, everything is prepared, and the weapon is ready, and, you know, we await you, come on, sir. And then Tarkin would, like, give a dramatic look and then be like, you may fire when ready. But instead, you know, Credit just cuts him halfway off. He's like, fire! Just yeah. <laughs> forget the ceremony, just do it already. Blow him
0: up! Yeah, that was great. That is a reaction to Tarkin when he says, you know, I'll be taking over for me, <laughs> the way he just loses it. So that was great. Oh, yeah.
2: Well, and he's, I mean, the way that he surprises him first you know of course all the imperials are watching this and krennic is like man it's magnificent
0: yeah um, like he just walks away nice and calmly real slowly past everybody like hand on his chin it's kind of almost like waiting for praise to be bestowed upon him by tarkin yeah
2: and then tarkin says you know i believe i owe you an apology director like this weapon has performed you know above our expectations and you know all the uh you know our our putting up with your delays and everything has paid off um and krennic's like wait what like did i just hear what i think i heard and then you know of course the other shoe drops and tarkin is like and now i'll be taking control of the weapon immediately and i'll be reporting to the emperor and lord vader about this um and krennic is just like oh no you didn't um (laughs) but then tarkin tells him that um <laughs> the, you know, because they were part of the reason they were on Jetta is They were trying to track down uh, Bodhi, the defected pilot. Um, and you know, Tarkin obviously has more information on this than um, than Krennic does, and he kind of embarrasses him and puts him in his place. And he's like, what, you think this pilot was acting alone? Like he came from Galen Erso's facility. So get over there and find out what's going on with this, and make sure we don't have any more leaks." <laughs> um, so that's where. Uh, Krennic heads off for it, and meanwhile, the rebels uh, head over there as well, because um, while Jin was hearing the message from her father and everything, Cassian found out from uh, Bodhi where, you know, also where he had come from and where uh, Galen was and all that. So they go there to try to, you know, meet with Galen or rescue him or whatever, or at least that's what Jin thinks they're doing. Meanwhile, Cassian has gotten orders from uh i forget what the rebel general's name is but he's definitely um sort of the mace window of the rebel alliance the the (laughs) very you know what
0: you're right (laughs) yeah
2: the the hard-edged extreme guy um who pulls cassian aside at the beginning and says you know okay so you guys are supposed to go meet with galen or, or meet with uh saw and then go and you know get the information from galen urso but your real mission is to kill him like this guy is a high level asset for the empire he's building weapons for them and everything and you know no matter what his relationship to Jin is and you know no matter what's going on here like we cannot allow him to keep building weapons for the empire so if you see him you take him out
0: yeah, General um, Draven was his name Draven
2: that's it yeah um, yeah that
0: just goes back to what I was talking about earlier about how it's painting the rebels in this new darker light where just so coldly he says to uh, Cassian before he leaves like you like forget everything you heard in that briefing room you find him you kill him like that's it like do you understand Cassian's like yeah but I have my orders type thing so mm-hmm. just playing into that whole effect of seeing this new uh, the rebels in a new light which we've never seen before but yet you know they would have to do stuff like this in order to, you know, survive in this war and get what information they can to get what victories they can, what, no matter how large or small. So, again, I just love that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, so then they go to Iadu, uh, which is, um, you know, this facility where they're working on the Death Star plans and project and everything. And also it's a, I think it was the Imperial uh, Kyber refinery um so they talk a lot about this movie actually or talk a lot of, and t- I talk a lot in the movie about uh the kyber crystals which um you know are the crystals that the Jedi use to power their lightsabers but the empire is just harvesting harvesting mass quantities of them um which I thought was interesting because like this was you know even brought up in the uh Utapau arc on the you know, the unfinished um, story reels for the Clone Wars where they just had, like, one massive green one. And you're thinking, like, oh, I wonder if they're taking this for the Death Star. And I'm sure they probably do. I mean, maybe it's even that same crystal. I'm sure they do have, like, one really big one that's sort of, like, the central, you know, focusing crystal for, for the Death Star's big laser beam. But also the idea that they just harvest, like, as much crystal as they can get. And, you know, in whatever quantity, whatever size you see, you know, a bunch of small ones and stuff. And they're basically just using it as fuel for this weapon. Um And like, well, that actually makes sense because, you know, it would be kind of improbable if they could, you know, not only build a moon-sized space station that had a super laser that could wipe out a planet, but if they could just hop that thing all around the galaxy and wipe out any planet they pleased you know, without having to recharge the energy in any way or, uh, you know, have some kind of um, fuel that needed to power this weapon. Um, Now, at the same time, I mean, I don't know how exactly, you know, using the crystals as fuel makes sense when, you know, before it's always just been about the crystals sort of focusing the energy of the beam. But, um, you know, they didn't explain exactly how that all worked, but we just know that the Empire was you know, harvesting a lot of crystal for this project. And then that, you know, obviously this refinery was playing into it as well. Um, So they go there to find Galen. um, And as they happen to arrive there, uh, you know, they get there just at the same time that Krennic is. And he's rounding up all the the top scientists at the facility. Um, And Cassian goes out alone uh, just with Bodhi and leaves everybody else behind on the ship because, you know, he takes his rifle up there and is going to assassinate him. Um, and I love that K2 is like the one who gives it away, like Jin and uh, Baze and Chirut are sitting on the ship and kind of trying to debate about whether or not they can trust Cassian. And um,
0: Chirrut, hints at, Chirrut hints at it, but yeah, K2 just confirms it. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, and again, because Chirut can't actually see Cassian, he asks Baze, he says, like, does he have the face of a killer? And Baze is like, no, he has the face of a friend. And he's like, why do you ask? And he's like... You know, because I have, you know, an an uneasy feeling or something. And he says the force moves darkly around a creature that's about to kill um, or something like that. Mm And K2, who's supposed to be Cassian's, you know, right-hand man, like k2 and and cassian were together before they ever recruited any of these other guys so you would think if they had any loyalty it would be to each other but k2 just kind of chirps up and goes well his weapon was in the sniper configuration when he left so you know maybe he was going to murder somebody um like
0: oh snap i gotta get out there
2: (laughs) yeah and so immediately Jin leaves um and shortly after uh cheer leaves to go after Jin and uh you know, Bayes says something like, or I think Baze just yells to him, like, Good luck and yeah. uh Chirut's like, I don't need luck. I've got you. Um, and knowing that Baze is gonna, you know, reluctantly follow him, um, leaving just K two and Bodhi on the ship, which they crashed at the bottom of a canyon, by the way. Um
0: Yeah, what Chirut or Baze said, uh good luck, and Chirut says, uh, I don't need luck. I thought he was gonna echo Obi Wan's statement, like in my experience, no such thing as luck. But what he said it anyway was still pretty darn funny. And then yeah. his face just gets up and falls. I'm like, Yeah, you're right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you know, so Cassian gets up there, um, gets in position to uh to take out Galen and then kind of has his epiphany moment of like, Come on, man, what are you doing? Like, I'm not an assassin. I don't just murder people because I got orders to, and so he puts his rifle down um and decides not to to shoot Galen. Um, but meanwhile, Krennic is like, you know, okay, one of you guys, uh, leaked Imperial secrets and, you know, there, there's a traitor among us. Um, and he's like, step forward or I'm going to have my death troopers, you know, execute all of you. Um, so then Galen steps forward and says, you know, leave them alone. It was me. And Krennic has the death troopers kill all the rest of the scientists anyways. Um, to Basically just to punish Galen and like, you know, make him watch. He's like man. You were the top guy You weren't supposed to be the one, you know leaking these secrets and whatever
0: I just love um, how Krennic was so sly like when he first landed there like Getting announcing this big achievement that the weapon is complete. And he's like are your engineers here. Oh, bring him along I got an announcement to make it's like, yeah. like I'm gonna congratulate you all for a job well done But nope as soon as they come he just gets right to it. Like, one of you is a traitor and like you said uh, it was definitely once Galen puts himself out there revealing himself to be the traitor that just sealed the fate for all those engineers, no matter what, because he knew that was going to hurt Galen even more, killing them anyway. And then, you know, just explaining to him, I love to that dialogue he had there where he was, I think Ga- Galen said, like, you'll never win or something like that. And he's all oh, gives him the reasons why of what he accomplished. Jeddah's destroyed Saw and his fanatics and no more. And the line I like the best where he just says the last uh, any lingering remnants or remembrance of the jedi is now gone kind of in his mind thinking you know that'll erase any memory or uh fascination or whatever you want to call it for those people who still believe in the force is now gone too so it's kind of got four victories all in one there so just i just liked how he put the jedi in there too because reading catalyst he was through the clone wars and knows all about the jedis and kyra crystals and all that so he would be Someone who would say that as an accomplishment, knowing that any lingering remembrance of the Jedi is now gone. So I like that little touch he put in there, just to make Galen feel even worse for what happened.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, oh, the the last remnant of the Jedi is wiped out. That's what you think.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> that just makes it even better. <laughs> yeah,
2: um, but then of course, uh, by this point, like the Rebel Alliance has been alerted, so they've sent a squadron of X wings and Y wings. To take out this facility. Uh, meanwhile, Jin has climbed up on the platform without Cassian noticing, and everything's kind of just building to a head here. Um, and the uh, you know the rebel ships fly over and start their their attack run, and uh, you know just start bombing this platform. Um, Cassian's trying to get them to call off the attack because he realizes that Jin is out there. Jin's trying to save her father before he gets wiped out, um, and next thing you know, like, this Y-Wing flies over and drops a bomb on the platform that, you know, kind of scatters Krennic and Galen and the, the death troopers and everything, um, but Krennic gets to his ship and and takes off, um, Jyn goes and finds Galen, who's basically been, you know, mortally wounded by the rebel attack, um, and, you know, he she she gets to hear his dying words. Um, meanwhile, Chirrut just has this awesome moment where, like, it's dark, it's raining, he's blind, and there's <laughs> an X-Wing chasing a TIE, or a, a TIE fighter chasing an X-Wing. Meanwhile, there's also this big, like, Imperial, like, turbo laser cannon up on top of the, the station that's been, like, taking out a bunch of rebel ships in the air. And Chirrut does this thing where he kind of just, like breathes on his hand and holds it up to the air almost like he's sensing the direction of the wind or something like that. And then pulls up his, I don't know what you call this thing. In fact, does, you've got the visual guide. Does it give a name for his weapon in there? Not his his staff, but his, you know, rifle thing?
0: Yeah, let me look it up real quick. It's called the light bow.
2: Okay. Well, that makes sense because it does kind of look you know, it's it kind of looks like a longbow almost, um, but with like a, a blaster rifle in the middle of it almost. But yeah, so he just holds this thing up.
0: Well, and- let me just read it real quick. It says the bow is largely, uh, you know, to the, to the bowcaster weapons built by the Wookiees of Kashyyyk. So it is kind of similar to that where it's comparing both of those. But like mm-hmm. you said, kind of more on the lightweight side.
2: Yeah, well, and like I said, it also—I mean, if it was—if you compare these to to real-world weapons, it looks more like a longbow that an archer would use instead of, like, a crossbow, which Chewie's thing obviously is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's like he he just, you know, obviously without looking, like, just aims this thing and fires it and— hits the TIE fighter and not just shoots down the TIE fighter, but shoots it down at such a trajectory that it crashes into the turret and and takes out this uh, anti-aircraft gun that's been um, pestering the rebels. And it's like, man, how did he do that? Like, (laughs) that was... Just an awesome moment right there. And I'm when I pretty... saw that,
0: I just thought to myself, "Yep, I've seen that. I've seen Kyle do that many times on Battlefront, taking down a tie fighter with a <laughs> blaster or a sniper rifle."
2: <laughs> yeah, well, not without looking.
0: <laughs> like, I
2: wish I was that good. I wish I could just put on my headphones, hear the ship flying overhead, and just aim up and shoot it down.
0: Well, now you got something to try on Battlefront. You got to emulate Chirut's, uh takedown of a TIE Fighter Close yeah, your eyes and try to hit Yeah, <laughs> I will
2: be missing a lot. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and then if you say you did, no one will believe you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <It's> right? <crazy. laughs>
2: um, but yeah, so I mean, that was pretty cool. And I'm pretty sure. Even though, you know, they told us there weren't going to be any Jedi characters in this movie or anything, um, you know, I went into it thinking that it was just going to be, like, a non-Force user who just believes in the Jedi and believes in their ideals and, you know, believes that the Force is real even though he can't feel it or anything. But this is one of the moments, and there, there are a couple of them um, that make me think he's got to have at least some level of Force sensitivity, um, and I don't think he was ever, like, a fully-fledged Jedi at any point, um, and I don't know if he, you know, just, if the Jedi just never found him, or if he just isn't, I, I just think, you know, he's not strong enough with the Force to actually be able to sort of channel it, like, you never see him, like, Force-push enemies or anything like that, but I think he just has some level of connection to it and an ability to, you know, sort of sense things and sort of commune with the Force, um, Especially because we know that the Kyber crystals also kind of have that property a little bit. And at the beginning of the movie, um, or when they're on Jeddah for the first time and and Jin first runs into Chiru, she's wearing um, a Kyber crystal necklace that her mother gave her, and Chiru says something about her necklace. Um, and he's like, oh, I bet you're wondering, you know, how <clears throat> how I knew you were wearing a necklace. Like, well, for that answer, you must pay. Yeah. Um, but you know so again i i think he has just sort of some level of sensitivity there of course Bayes could have also like whispered it to him but um <laughs> you know Bayes seems like the kind of guy who has no interest in you know yeah. pulling magic tricks on people
0: i don't think that's the case yeah but i agree with you where you know it, it does play into the fact too you know where in kind of these storytelling ideas where there's the blind old uh sensei master even though he's blind he can still fight and his other senses are heightened like his hearing and able to fight good but i do believe the force he i saw this um, on discussions on twitter too where it's not which i really like where it's not really he's using the force but the force is kind of using him in Mm -hmm. a way so where there's a difference to how the jedi wield the force but yet the force can go into others and able to do for them to do certain things too. And I think that's in the case of Chirut. in certain circumstances like here and then at the end where he has to go uh, pull the master switch. Certain circumstances like that where even though he uh, probably has some force sensitivity but, you know, can't really wield it, the force is still able to flow through him to do certain things that would be, you know, a little more than what normal humans and those who aren't force sensitive were able to do. So it, I, I kind of like to think where, you know, the force... As this grand scheme and those that certain Mm -hmm. things have to take place and it used chirut in certain circumstances to get things done that would all tie back to Luke doing what he has to do. So I just kind of like the idea where the Force is moving all over the place and certain individuals to make sure certain things get done to, you know, going all the way out to Return of the Jedi where that prophecy gets fulfilled where the chosen one destroys the Sith all these little things play into that and I think in his small way Chirrut had his moments <clears throat> where the force used him to do that so I know it's kind of getting way out there in the grand scheme of things of the force and just the whole Star Wars saga in general in general but I just can't help but think of certain things like that where everyone has their parts to play even though they may not know it and it might seem insignificant it all connects and ties together through the force and I just love that so just Food for thought when you're thinking about chariot there that, yeah, it's definitely the Force is having its moment in him certain, certain mm-hmm. ways, and I think it's really cool.
2: Yeah, no, I, I pretty much agree with you on that, too. I mean, in this particular instance, when he shoots down the TIE Fighter, I, I think that, to me, seems a little bit more like him using the Force, like, to the extent that he can use it. I mean, again, he doesn't, like, use the Force to reach out and pull the TIE Fighter down out of the air, but just using it to to heighten his senses kind of like what Kanan does in rebels where he basically mm. learns to use the force to see without seeing. Um, and that sort of thing. I, I feel like Chirrut can kind of do that a little bit. I mean the same way when he uh, knows that Jin has that necklace on. Um, obviously he can't see everything cause he still has to ask um, Bay, you know, he asks Bay's what um, Cassian's face looks like. Um, and even when he goes to pull that master switch, he's still, you know, using his his staff kind of as a walking stick and trying to find his way over to it. He doesn't know exactly where it is. Um, but, yeah, I think in this case he was kind of reaching out and using the Force there. But I do think, yeah, definitely with the whole, you know, that moment where he's going after the master switch, I think the Force was, if not... Acting through him and using him, it was definitely like swirling around him and protecting him in that moment. Yeah, either that or he's just the luckiest son of a gun that's ever lived. <laughs>
0: uh, no, that's not the case. We'll get to it when we talk about it. But yeah, you saw how those death troopers weren't missing the targets, but for yeah, some reason they yeah. couldn't
2: hit <laughs> No, um, yeah, th- that was definitely a case where. Uh, the hokey re- the hokey religion and uh ancient weapon was more powerful than the good blaster at your side
1: yeah
0: <laughs> perfectly said <laughs> yeah
2: so that was a really cool moment there um and then of course as i said um you know Jin sees her father die uh krennic and his death troopers take off cassian uh comes to you know pull Jin away um and meanwhile, K2 and Bodhi have stolen an Imperial shuttle and they come and rescue everybody and they all make it onto the shuttle and take off. Um, and then they kind of have their moment on the ship where Jin realizes that, or, you know, confronts Cassian about um, what his real intentions were um, and, you know, accuses him of, you know, going out there to kill her father. And he's like, well, yeah, those were my orders, but did I do it? No, like I had multiple chances to pull the trigger. Um, and you know, but she's like, "Oh, but those were you know alliance bombs that killed him." And you know, they basically have their whole debate about you know doing what it takes to win a war and all that kind of thing.
1: Um,
2: but then you know, so they head back to Yavin. For meanwhile, Krennic, <laughs>
0: he takes an interesting trip, doesn't he? He <laughs> takes an
2: interesting little side trip down a a familiar uh, lava flowing planet. Um. Or yeah, you you just get this great shot of his his tiny little shuttle along this big wide river of lava up to this cliff and there's this giant towering fortress um that I don't know about you, but like i I'm sure for a lot of us the instant we saw that we were like, Oh my gosh, there's been stories in the expanded universe for years and, you know, going all the way back to, yeah, yeah, this was, you know, a a concept that Ralph McQuarrie originally designed for, you know, the original trilogy was Darth Vader's, you know, secret castle or fortress or whatever you want to call it. I'm like, this is actually a thing now. It's canon. Darth Vader lives in a castle on Mustafar. Like, how freaking (laughs) cool is that?
0: Oh, man, I so many emotions were going through me. <laughs> First, I always seen that. First off, when you see the lava, I was like, oh, man, is this actually Mustafar? Is Vader living on Mustafar? <laughs> this, the shot we saw in the trailer was that back to tank. Is this actually on Mustafar? <laughs> is that what we're seeing? And then when we saw the castle and his spy, I was like, oh, man, are we seeing some, the fruition of some old classic concept art and ideas of Darth <clears throat> Vader? Living or having a castle on a lava planet, but yet it's Mustafar. Are we getting both of these things at the same time? We haven't even seen Vader yet, and I'm already geeking out of the possibilities of what's to come. And oh, man, then we get, like I said, that shot. We kept speculating and wondering (laughs) when we saw that first trailer, what is the context of that scene? Who is that robed figure? Who's in the back of the tank? The Imperial uh, Royal Guards are there. Is that Palpatine? What's going on here? So... We finally got the answers to that. And while it was a new character who was an aide <laughs> to Vader, uh, who I guess Palpatine's assigned to be there for him, and Vader was the one in that back to tank, and boy, was that pretty awesome to see. I mean, we kind of. It's almost like that moment in Empire Strikes Back where uh, General Veers goes into his uh, chamber where you see the helmet coming on his head. But this one took it to another level where you just see, again, a reminder of what Obi-Wan did to him in Revenge of the Sith Mm -hmm. and just how messed up Anakin really is or no limbs. And I only wish we'd got a little shot of his actual face, even though it had that breather mask on there. It just would have been cool to see the hatred in Vader's eyes, probably Mm -hmm. that he has every time he goes in there being reminded of what Obi-Wan did to him. It was just so cool. And uh, to get that... All played out in that sequence, and then it leads up to the entrance Vader had to meet Krennic. They were just so so well done, and the way you don't see him first, you hear the music start to play, but then you see his shadow as the camera still focus on Krennic, and then he just makes his grand entrance, and for what was a really cool (laughs) exchange that he had with Director Krennic in that moment. So, but Mm -hmm. the lead up to that, we're seeing the exterior of Mustafar and seeing Vader in that back of tank, and all these (laughs) just Ideas and the emotions coming through you as you're watching it as long time Star Wars fans. It was really cool. One of my favorite moments of seeing the movie for the first time, just geeking out uh, at that whole sequence playing. i was just really cool. And I couldn't help but, like we were talking about earlier, how they didn't have the name Mustafar on there like the other planets did. I couldn't help but have this lingering doubt thinking, uh, is it actually Mustafar? I mean, I wanted to be that so bad, but since I didn't know for sure. Maybe there's a chance that it wasn't. Man, I would have been crushed if it was not <laughs> Mustafar. But thankfully Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter confirmed that it was. And I like the callback he the way he referenced it too. He didn't actually say, Yeah, it's Mustafar. He goes, It's the planet where that we teased in Rebels that he said, where Jedi go to die, which, you know, that was in the season one finale of Rebels, which they took Kane to Mustafar. And that just gave that whole new weight because when I first saw that You would figure maybe there's torturing devices. Vader's probably not there. They just send any possible Force-sensitive or rogue Jedi they find. They send them there to torture him or kill him. But knowing that they're probably sent to Vader in his castle, and I'm sure he does plenty of torturing, but it probably is all by him, which just makes it even cooler and has more dread when you hear Hera say that line to the ghost crew when she says it's where Jedi go to die. They probably don't know it, but... They go to meet Vader and eventually their end. And knowing that Kanan was so close to facing that just adds, like I said, more weight to that whole moment. So, yeah,
2: that's cool. a good point. I didn't even make that connection. I mean, I, I heard from somebody, maybe it was you, saying that, you know, he tweeted that saying that it was on the planet where Jedi go to die. And I'm just remembering, oh, well, in Rebels, that was Mustafar. So, okay, this is Mustafar confirmed. And I didn't really think much else of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes you know, even more sense now thinking like, Oh yeah, they send them there because that's where Vader is.
0: You know, he's probably gonna, cause this takes me back to that one shot Vader comic that came out not too long after the revenge of the Sith. In the beginning of that issue, you just see him torturing a Jedi that he got asking where Obi-Wan is. Hmm. And that just made me think no matter who, what Jedi they bring to him, I'm sure that's the first question he tries to get out of them. Cause hmm. knowing from what we even mentioned in Rebels, when he realized Ahsoka was still out there, the first thing on his mind, oh, maybe she could lead me to Obi-Wan. He just knows know that's the priority of what he wants to be done <laughs> before, I guess, uh, if he knows Obi-Wan's still alive, so he knows that anything that happens to him or before he dies, he just wants revenge on Obi-Wan. So I can imagine that's the same case <laughs> for whatever Jedi's brought to him on Mustafar. And another cool thing that was brought up from the visual guide that I really loved was that, you know, When I first saw it, I was thinking, is this Vader's choice to be on Mustafar? Does he like (laughs) to live there? Because, you know, it fuels his hate for everything that happened to him, where his life fell apart, and that just fuels him to embrace the dark side even more. But it was revealed in the visual guide that it's by the Emperor's design that Vader lives in such an unforgiving environment. So this is Palpatine's choice, (laughs) and not Vader. And maybe he does have the same line of thinking. I was... uh, talking about right there where just to feel his anger and his hate and palpatine knows that so he's going to have him live on the planet where everything went wrong for him so mm-hmm. just everything about i mean it's not said in the movie you'd have to put the pieces together in your mind as die-hard star wars fan but again that's what makes reading the stuff watching things like rebels and you hear it tie into this one moment here just adds so much to it as star wars fans i just love that we got Quite a bit of that in this movie. even this particular scene on Mustafar was one of the big ones. So I just loved every aspect of it. And we haven't even gotten to his conversation with Krennic yet. And <laughs> it's already it's an awesome sequence. So it's definitely yeah. a highlight of the movie for me.
2: Yeah, but it was, I mean, even just cinematically, the way it was shot and everything was just so cool. I mean, mm-hmm. when, after he comes out of the back to tank, when, you know, Krennic is just standing in the middle of this big open chamber, and you see the huge door open and it's just like, you know, smoke coming out and you hear the breathing and you just kind of see the shadow of Vader. Um, I mean, you just see like this dark figure coming through, but you don't really see any details. And then we cut over to Krennic and obviously we all know who's coming, but you just see, you know, just the way they've got it framed where there's Krennic there in the middle and then just this huge shadow of Vader on the wall behind him just sort of you know, descending towards him, just showing, like, how imposing and threatening Vader is and how much he sort of overshadows everyone else in the Empire. Um, And that even though he's not necessarily part of, like, the military hierarchy, like, I don't know that he technically outranks anybody, but it's just, you know, he's not somebody to mess with. Yeah. And they obviously all know that he reports directly to the Emperor and that, um, you know, he's sort of off doing his own thing anyway, so they know not to get on his bad side.
0: Yeah, which, um, you know, Krennic pushed it a little yeah. too far there. <laughs> Where Not necessarily getting on his bad side, but kind of like annoying Vader, or even tells him, like, you're not summoned here to grovel. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm here to tell you what the Senate's going to think of what, <laughs> all, what has happened, and I expect you to clean up, you know, to make sure everything gets cleaned up, and what Galen Erso doesn't come back to, you know, haunt us and so that means i'm still in command that's okay he could have gone over that but then he says you'll tell the emperor (laughs) i I can still be in command and that's where vader you know like this i've had it with this guy yeah well because he he basically
2: tried to go behind he, he tried to go over the heads of of everybody else above him in again in the imperial hierarchy and just go straight to vader to be like hey you know He basically sounded almost like a kid, you know, like, tattletaling, like, to the teacher. Yeah. (laughs) Like, hey, you know, Johnny was was cheating and looking at my test, you know. Hey, I built this Death Star and we blew stuff up with it and now Tarkin's taking credit for it. Like, can I have it back? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what it came across as. Which, and, you know, I'm not trying to sound too critical and make it sound like he's a bad character or anything. I mean, it was... You know, made for something new and interesting because you know you would never really imagine somebody like Tarkin doing something like that. You would just, oh, no. yeah, no, you'd imagine Tarkin just like plotting his revenge and being you know manipulative and and trying to come up with a way to steal it back for himself or get Krennic assassinated or something like that. Whereas Krennic is both sort of, you know, comes across as kind of weak and groveling, but at the same time is kind of, you know, brash to go straight to Vader to begin with. Um, You know, like, I'm sure not a lot of Imperial officers would, you know, have the guts to ask a favor of Darth Vader in the first place.
0: Yeah, you got to give him props for that. Yeah,
2: (laughs) so, yeah, you got to give him props for trying. But then, um, of course, just adding to the great legend of Darth Vader... He, he goes, so you'll tell the Emperor about me? And, you know, he, he just tries to, you know, keep talking and, and, of course, slowly realizes that he can't breathe. And you get, you know, the classic moment of Vader force choking somebody as he, you know, slowly turns with his hand in the, you know, the pincer grip and, uh, you know, Krennic sort of grasping for air. And then Vader lets him go and says, Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, director. Um, And I'm like, wow, Darth Vader just, as somebody else put it, he made a dad joke.
0: (laughs) You know what? I got to be honest. I've seen recently, anyway, a lot of people kind of complain about that line, how it doesn't fit the character. I absolutely loved it. I think it totally fits the character. First off, we've had previous examples of Vader saying things. Kind of similar to that effect in the original trilogy. The one that pops into my mind first is, like, apology accepted, Captain Nita. Yeah. Making jokes when he's choking somebody. And he act- maybe it's because he actually said the word choke when he's doing it. Some people have a problem with. But at the same time, too, Anakin Skywalker is still in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we've heard him say things like that all the time. And it- I'm sure it comes out every once in a while. Not often, but that still Anakin is there and it fits the character both characters in my opinion so I loved it
2: yeah and you know I, I have to believe that that's something that they were going for um, you know Gareth Edwards or whoever was writing the script or even you know Kathleen Kennedy or the, the guys of the um, story group or you know just behind the scenes somebody spoke up and said you know this is the first time that we're going to see Vader on screen since Revenge of the Sith, you know, since the completion of the original six-film saga, and I think we have a cool opportunity here to sort of bridge the gap between episode three and four and have Vader feel like classic Darth Vader, but also make him feel a little bit more like Anakin Skywalker than we've seen before. Um... I mean, I I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I get the feeling that it was because for me, that was one of my favorite parts about this movie was not just the awesome Vader stuff, but there was just a little hint to it where I'm like, you know, whether like things like this line, but also just in the way he carried himself. And then, of course, in his action scene later, it was like it's still the classic Darth Vader that we know and love. But this one feels a little bit more like the Anakin Skywalker that we know too. And it just felt like a sort of bridge between those two characters for me. And I'm not saying that I ever felt like Anakin and Vader were two completely separate characters, you know, that I couldn't reconcile like Hayden Christensen being in the Vader suit or anything like that. I'm just saying that this one, you know, I felt like did a nice little job of, of blending some of those elements.
0: Totally. Like, no matter how much Vader likes to try or tell people that Anakin Skywalker is completely dead, kind of like how he tells Ahsoka in the Rebel Season 2 finale, where he says, I destroyed him because he was weak. Yeah, he might think that, but it's not the case. And whether he realizes it or not, sometimes the old Anakin's going to pop up in that suit every now and again but of course it's still in moments where he's doing evil things it's not like he's going to be coming good just that personality trait of anakin's still in there and it comes out so yeah i totally agree
2: yeah but man so i i love that scene love that line um love the castle love the music um i mean i i even love that like Again, I don't know that I caught this watching the movie for the first time, but after listening to the soundtrack and listening to, you know, the track from that particular scene, it's like when you first go in the castle and see Vader in the back to tank and then he's, you know, coming out to meet with Krennick for the first time, there's a brief callback to what essentially was the Imperial theme in a new hope before John Williams had ever written the Imperial March. Um You know, it's it's a different piece that is you know just like uh, accompanies you know a lot of the imperial scenes like on the Death Star and stuff in A New Hope, and they use like he uses a little bit of that, and then there's like a brief few notes of the Emperor's theme, and then of course the scene ends with you know notes of the Imperial March, and it's just like that's cool. It's just like all the the dark side imperial themes all kind of rolled into one.
0: Yeah, I didn't um, pick up on that about it. Kind of harking back to the a new hope imperial theme, which like you said, we know is different from the one in empire, but mm-hmm. yeah, I we'll have to go back. And to yeah, that go now, back. And I know he to kind it's, it's of on the new imperial theme for this movie, but mm-hmm. it still blends in with the main one that we all know and love. So. Yeah,
2: no, you can definitely hear distinctly the a new the the imperial theme from a new hope in there. Um it's on the track called Kronix Aspirations. Um I think on the on the soundtrack. I was just listening yeah. to it on my way home from work today, so. I got to
0: just listen to that soundtrack, just sitting in a chair in my bed, just immersing myself into it. Because the only times I've listened to it, I was either working or kind of going through the visual guide. I just need to listen to that and just (laughs) absorb everything. Oh, okay. Focus on that. So maybe I'll pick it up when I actually do that.
2: Yeah, I think every time I've listened to it so far, it's just been like driving back and forth from work and stuff. So, Um, which I don't always like listening to soundtracks in the car because just you know you've got other noise and sometimes on like some of the softer tracks like you you can't always hear it very well yeah um, like you go
0: to make it louder and then right when you do it's one like, yeah and then nice pace, the loud part comes you have to lower it real exactly
2: quick. <laughs> yeah so that's kind of annoying but um yeah it's it's still uh i mean i've i've been able to listen to it you know well enough and and pick up on some of that stuff in there so i thought that was pretty cool Um, so anyway, then, uh, you know, meanwhile, the rebels get back to Yavin and they hold a big, uh, you know, council meeting, if you want to call it, um, with all these, you know, various rebel leaders. And, uh, you know, of course, Mon Mothma's there and Bail Organa and General Draven and, um, Admiral Radis, who is, uh, you know, the cool new, uh, boss Mon Calamari dude. (laughs) Um, And they're all debating about, you know, what they're going to do. And Jin tells them about the Death Star plans and her father and everything. Um, And some of them are like, well, you know, I say we fight. And some of them are like, I say we run. And, you know, we have no chance against this. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Mon Mothma is kind of the Yoda figure in all of this. If you kind of compare this to the Jedi Council, it kind of reminded me of, like, in the... Almost like the Ahsoka arc at the end of the Clone Wars where, you know, Mace Windu and ki Mundi and some of the other Jedi are like, oh, she's guilty. Like, we have to kick her out. And Yoda's like, I'm not so sure about this, but, you know, I I have to go along with the rest of the council and I'm the one making the decision here. So, you know, I'm, I'm the one that has to kind of sort of be the leader of the group. So, unfortunately, this is what we're doing. Um And Mon Mothma kind of gave off the same kind of vibe here, where she's, like, not necessarily wanting to fight, but at the same time knows that this is a threat that can't be ignored, but it's like her hands are kind of tied because, you know, she says, like, without the full approval of the whole council, like, we just can't do anything right now, Um, which was kind of... You know, surprising to me, and I I thought um, It was, you know, an interesting route for the movie To take, because I was expecting Jin just goes in there, gives the inspirational Speech, rallies the troops, and You know, everybody eventually decides, like, okay Let's go fight the Empire And we gotta take out this Death Star Um, And so, when it was like, well Love to help you fight, but Not everybody agreed to it, so We can't do it right now, sorry, I was like, oh Well, then what are they gonna do From here? Um, which then leads to a really nice moment that I think is sort of, you know, the culmination of Cassian's uh, story arc, where, um, you know, you see just like Jin and Baze and Chirut and Bodhi, and they're all, you know, by their ship and talking, you know, they're like, Jin's like, well, we can't just give up now, like, we got to keep fighting, and you know she's like but we can't do it with just the four of us and Baze is like well how many do we need and she's like uh huh what do you mean and he kind of just points and she turns around and Cassian's there with you know maybe like 20 guys um and he's like you know they might not be willing to help you fight but like we are and we're all you know he says that all these other guys with him have kind of been in the same place that he is where they're all like the rebel um, spies and saboteurs and assassins and people who've all done things that they aren't proud of and things that you know they maybe didn't necessarily want to do but were just following orders um, or doing what they thought was you know best for the greater good of the rebellion and for the galaxy um, and he said you know he he gives a nice uh, you know sort of speech I guess about how he says, like, every time I did something, uh, every time I walked away from something that I wasn't proud of, you know, I just told myself that I was doing it for a cause that I believed in. And, you know, I couldn't live with myself if I walked away from that cause right now and didn't see it through to the end and didn't, you know, go into this fight. So he's got his whole squad of, um, you know, his his own sort of bad batch, if you will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so they board their stolen imperial cargo shuttle and take off and uh that's where they get the name Rogue 1 um cuz there was Bodie's flying it and the, the rebel guys like hey you're not supposed to be taking off like nobody's supposed to be in that ship it's you know under lockdown and uh he's like you know what's your call sign he's like it's uh it's Rogue Rogue 1 he's like there's no Rogue 1 <laughs> and K2's like well there is now Rogue yeah. 1 pulling out
0: and we know the that name's going to continue on in the Rebel Alliance.
2: Which is yep, cool. they named a whole squadron after him. Yep.
0: But man, I just love, love, love that sequence for two reasons. First off, <laughs> like you were going to, or saying previously, that it's the perfect culmination of Cassian's story, which for me, I was really invested in, like I said, in the first scenes that we saw him in, then knowing where it leads to this moment. Because when I first saw a problem I had that was a little bugging me a bit, was like how did because the scene before that Cassian and Jin were kind of going at it with each other where she's saying like wants him to admit how he's just following orders even though when they're not good calling him like a stormtrooper and he's telling her she doesn't know what he's talking about I've been doing this since I was six so they weren't really on good terms but the next time we see him together it's that yeah I'm gonna help you out I was thinking you know there's probably should have been one more scene between them just to kind of make it feel a little more natural that they, maybe they smooth things out once they got to Yavin or, you know, just something to make it a little more believable where he's just going to go up and help her and join her on this rogue mission. But seeing a second time it, for whatever reason, clicked with me. No, it makes perfect sense that Cassian would do that regardless if we didn't see another scene with him and Jin, because all the stuff That he said they did. How they're not proud of being assassins, saboteurs, and all that. Like we saw him do in the beginning, killing that informant. What was the point of all that if he doesn't see this through? He even says it like, how can he live with himself if they just decided to give up now? And if he doesn't see this to the end, I mean, how could? Yeah, that that would, you know, weigh on his mind, and that would be reason enough for him to go with jim when he realized that the Rebel Alliance isn't going to do anything because another thing that i loved about this sequence is we were this close to seeing the end of the rebellion then and there it all could have been over right there empire would have ruled the galaxy with iron and fists and no one would have stood up for him if it wasn't for Jin and the rest of rogue one which just adds so much more importance to their rebel group that they formed there in that moment so i love that but more so on the forefront of uh cassian and his group of rebel soldiers of you know acknowledging all the bad things that they had to do for the greater good but yet they have to see it through how it just wouldn't be right if they just ended it now and all that terrible things that they did was for nothing and Cassian would not have that so i just loved it from a character arc of where it led to Cassian making that decision and then just from an overall star wars uh Story arc where the rebellion and where they came from, and how it was so close to ending. But yet, because of Jin and Cassian coming to the realization that they're going to do this with the help of their friends, and then thus getting the rest of the Rebel Alliance and the fleet to help them on Scarab, which is all really good. So, I love that sequence for a few reasons. And I thought it, despite my initial complaint after I first saw it, I think it played out beautifully. And you just kind of have to, you know, take in what you know already from seeing these characters, especially Cassian, where he's coming from, and just if maybe if I just paid attention more <laughs> with the speech that he gave, it would have rang true right away when I first saw it. But seeing it again uh, two more times and then just getting more invested with Cassian's story, it just played out, I think, as well as it could in that moment. So it's definitely one of my favorite moments there, just for a character, uh, a character moment, and then just from the overall story of the rebellion, I thought it was really cool.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I didn't even really think about it from that standpoint of, like, the rebellion would have been finished right then and there. Because, obviously, there were still some people that wanted to fight. And we know that those guys had, you know, they had been together before. It's not like th- this was the first time that all these groups were meeting up. Um because obviously i mean we know just from the rebels tv show that there are different rebel groups out there and that they've already been fighting the empire and they even make a reference in this scene that you know general draven is already blowing up an imperial base or something like that so i think even if they all didn't band together right here like there still would have been rebels fighting the empire but yeah this is obviously a crucial moment um for them to you know rally behind these guys and to go get these death star plans because you know even if the rebellion had continued if they didn't blow up the death star they would have been screwed you know the the rebellion or the empire would have just gone around and kept you know wiping out planets until the rebels surrendered um or until they found the rebel base and wiped that out um but yeah i mean it was definitely cool to see them come together like this to see all these guys who um, you know, had all done things they weren't proud of, you know, sort of looking for their chance at redemption or their chance to, you know, make sure that all that stuff was worth it. Um, and so they take off. And again, I'm thinking like, oh, well, this wasn't how I was expecting this to go, but okay, let's see how they do with their, you know, small little mission here.
0: Um, at the same time, I kind of felt the same way, but should have seen it coming because of the name Rogue One. <laughs> of course, they have to kind of go rogue at some point. Yeah. So it made sense when we actually saw it, how it did play out.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I guess yeah. I I just didn't think you know when we had heard that in the trailers, I wasn't assuming that they were like stealing that ship from the Alliance. Um. But I don't know. Yeah, I I definitely thought it was cool how they pl- how it played out, and then yeah, made the name even more fitting. Yeah, definitely. Um. But so then they go to Scarif. Uh. They get through the shield gate in a very um you know, Return of the Jedi-esque kind of scene. Yeah, You know, I don't know, just fly casual. Um <laughs> You know, they transmit their code, they get to pass through the S.H.I.E.L.D. gate and go land on the planet. And it was interesting that, like, you know, Jin really is sort of... She kind of takes over as, like, the leader of the group, but, you know, she's just... I mean, she did kind of grow up with Saw Gerrera as part of his group of rebels, and, you know, she knows how to fight, but she's mostly just kind of been, like, a a rogue and a thief and a a thorn in the Empire's side, but she's no, like, brilliant military tactician or anything like that. And when they go in here, they don't even really have a plan. She, You know, she's giving her speech to the troops, and it's basically like, okay, if we get through the shield gate, we're going to find a place to land, and we'll... Uh, you know, get out and, you know, you guys will cause a distraction and draw the troops away and Cassian and K2 and I will sneak into the base and try to find the plans. And if that succeeds and we get the plans, then we'll, we'll take the next chance and then we'll take the next chance after that. And we'll keep, you know, basically just taking whatever chance is presented to us or keep just, you know, trying to figure out what to do next until we run out of chances or until we complete the mission. Um, And so, you know, it's kind of a gutsy move. It's not like, you know, what we're used to seeing on, like, the Clone Wars or something where they'll have this whole mission briefing ahead of time, and it's like, okay, Anakin and Ahsoka are going to go over here, and then Rex and his guys are going to do this, and then Obi-Wan's going to distract them over here, and, you know, they've got the whole thing laid out ahead of time. And, of course, something always goes wrong, and that, you know, makes for a more interesting story, but these guys were kind of just making it up as they go and having to kind of work with what they were presented with, you know, at them, you know, right there, in the heat of the moment and kind of just you know roll with the punches. Um so I thought it was, you know, interesting to see the way that unfolded. Um and of course so they land on the planet, um, <laughs> pull another moment right out of a new hope where uh some Imperial guys come on board to inspect the ship and next thing you know, Jin and Cassian are walking off the ship in their uniforms. Um and then they get into the base. Um meanwhile you know, Baze and Chirrut take a squad of, like, half the guys that they brought with them, and they go start sneaking around outside and planting bombs on the landing pads. and uh,
0: stealthily taking out Sword <laughs> a Yeah, Yeah. Draw. Well,
2: and Baze, too, you know, to his credit, he was, you know, sneaking up behind some guys and, like, tasing them in the neck, but... It was mostly because they were usually distracted by another one of their guys already getting, you know, his butt whooped by Chirrut. So <laughs> Pieces
0: um, of his helmet actually flying off. <laughs>
2: yeah, or and I'm pretty sure there was one that you just saw, like his helmet get smashed or something. Yeah. Um, until Jin and Cassian and K2 come to a place where, um, you know, they have to, uh, you know, just get across this area where there's a lot of stormtroopers. And K2, obviously, you know, ever the optimist is like, you know, the optimal route places only 89 stormtroopers in our path. I predict we will get no more than 33% of the way before we are all killed. Um, (laughs) And so then they're like, okay, guys, time to, uh, you know, go with the distraction and draw them away. So they start blowing up all these bombs. Meanwhile, I I was going to say before all this, I just wanted to call out another funny K2 line when they're, you know going through the shield gate and they're like okay well you know hopefully this code works and they haven't you know changed it or anything like hopefully they haven't oh, yeah. logged the shuttle as overdue um they're like all right if this works we get through the shield gate and uh you know well what happens if we don't get through well then we're all vaporized in the cold dark vacuum of space and then K2's like not me I can survive <laughs> in space
1: <laughs>
0: That was like, I thought you were going to go with. Uh, or he almost said, "I got a bad feeling about this," but Cassian. Comes oh off. well.
2: <laughs> See, so many good K two lines because also you know when they're at the base, it's like he, he has a nice heartwarming moment where he goes up to Jin after Cassian and everybody else volunteers for the mission. He's like, "I'll be there for you, Jin." Cassian said, "I had to." <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. then, yeah, as they're going into the Imperial base, K2 goes, I have a bad feeling about it. And then
0: they're, K, shh, what? <laughs> I'm still going to count that as that line being in every Star Wars movie still. He oh, Pretty yeah. much got most of it out. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was just, it, it was their version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, still my favorite K2SO line was from back at the beginning of the movie where they're going to Jeddah for the first time and jin has got a blaster that she, you know, probably stole from the uh, Rebel base. And, um, you know, he tells Cassian, to like, why does she get a blaster and I don't? And then Cassian confronts Jin about it, but she convinces him to let her keep it. And she says, you know, trust goes both ways and yada yada. So then Cassian goes to get the ship ready for takeoff and K2's like, you're letting her keep it. Would you like to know the probability of her using it against you?
0: It's high. (laughs) It's
2: very high.
0: Uh, I will say probably after Chiru uh, getting the bag put over his head and saying, are you kidding me? That's the next line that probably gets the most laugh every time I've seen it so Mm -hmm. far. The delivery on it is just perfect.
2: Oh, it's so perfect. Just the timing and everything. Uh, I love it. I'm only slightly disappointed that they released that as a clip ahead of time and that he didn't really have any lines in the movie that were funnier than that Because yeah, the that, one
0: about surviving in space was pretty close it was pretty yeah, close not quite
2: <laughs> again just the timing and the delivery on that where it's like almost after the fact it's like you think they're done with that conversation and then he just chirps up not me I can yeah. survive in space yeah <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, they, they get in there, the uh the rebels out on the platforms blow up their bombs, they draw the troops away. Um and then of course Krennic has a great line in there too because he's come back to Scarif to search through the, the data banks and he's like, All right, pull up every message that Galen Erso has ever sent, and you know, we're gonna search all of them for you know any possible clues about leaks or spies or anything like that. So he's up at his headquarters on Scarif watching all the bombs go off below. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone in the command center is kind of just looking around and like, you know, falls quiet. They're like, oh crap, what do we do? And Krennic just turns to them and goes, (laughs) are we blind? Deploy the garrison! (laughs)
1: Yeah, that
0: was another great Krennic outburst moment.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. Which then, of course, leads to basically the, the outbreak of the battle, um which has some awesome moments just of you know firefights between the rebel soldiers and the uh the stormtroopers um and i love how you know cassian kind of gives them the the pep talk about you know basically just the the biggest advantage that they have is that the empire doesn't expect them to be there you know that they get through the shield gate that they're in a stolen imperial cargo shuttle um he said you know the element of surprise will let us make 10 men feel like 100. Um, and again, I mean, I wasn't really counting, but it seems like they do just have about 10 guys in that sort of main squad that's out there with Baze and Chirrut and everybody, and then they've got maybe 10 more back on the ship with Bodhi. Um, but, you know, they, they show some pretty good uh, tactical prowess here, especially when, you know, they, they set off the bombs, obviously, to draw the troopers away from the inside to give... Jin and Cassian and K2 a, a path to get through. And then they've basically just got them bottlenecked. They all come out this one door, and the rebels just start ambushing them and just gunning these guys down as they're coming out the exit. Um, and I'm like, man, I wish I could get that many kills in Battlefront. You know, especially
0: Baze, man. I mean, when is his gun coming to Battlefront? Can you imagine? Oh,
2: seriously. <laughs> like, I i like that we've got Jin as a playable hero now, although I still haven't gotten to play as her yet. Um, But yeah, after seeing this movie, I'm like, can we please be Baze and Chirrut?
0: I know, even the sequence on Edo where he covers Cassian and Jin as they make their escape, and all those stormtroopers come through the door, you just see them start falling down with laser blasts coming so fast, and you see uh, the view of Baze looking through the scope, and just Mm -hmm. how he's mowing them down with that blast. It's like, oh man, we need that gun in Battlefront. Seriously? (laughs) It would probably take a while to cool back down to use it again, but if you were able to plant yourself in a good spot and just start mowing down enemies man you can rank up your points probably yeah. pretty quick well
2: see he's got like a big old canister thing on his back so maybe you know the trade-off could be that like using that gun like decreases your movement speed by half or something maybe, so you got yeah. people just lumbering around the battlefield really slowly but then just like you know mowing people down
0: yeah like when i first saw that sequence on edu that was the first thing that came to my head man when do we get this in battlefront
2: <laughs> yeah man i would love to see that but yes yeah, so we got some great action scenes out there and then of course you've got rebel spies back on yavin who are just like monitoring imperial transmissions and stuff and uh you got the the one guy who you know kind of hears this all going on and just kind of freaks out and runs to mon mothma and he's like senator there's rebel right, activity <laughs> yeah, yeah, it runs past Chopper. You hear in the background, General Sindula, please report to the briefing room. Um, actually, I think that was before, like, when when uh, Jin was out there. But, um, yeah, definitely no shortage of Easter eggs in this movie. Um, That's for sure.
0: They were all awesome if you were able to see them.
2: <laughs> yeah, Chopper's in there. We heard the mention of General Syndulla. uh The ghost is in there uh, apparently several times. Um, I didn't even see the shot of it on where you actually see it on the landing pad on Yavin. Um, Yeah,
0: I saw that the second time I went to go see it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've just seen the image going around online. I haven't seen it watching the the movie yet. Although the second time I saw it, I did spot Chopper. Um,
0: Yeah, every time they were on Yavin... I was just, I was making a conscious effort to try to spot Chopper. Like, I know he's in there somewhere. <laughs> I saw him at the last second on my first viewing. Because mainly because I heard him. Bur, bur, bur. <laughs> i was going oh, okay. to catch him real quick. Oh, there he is.
2: Um, But then, oh, see, th- well, the first time I saw the movie, I didn't even know he was going to be in there. Like, I read about it after the fact. I was like, oh, Chopper was in there?
0: Yeah, um, that, that was something I got out on Twitter like a day before. So, oh, okay. <laughs> like, uh, I kind of wish they i would have saw that just you know as a cool surprise but then again if i didn't see that i probably wouldn't have been noticed that on my yeah. first viewing
2: <laughs> it's like if i had never read about that that would be something i noticed like watching it on blu-ray like two yeah. years from now I'd be like wait is that chopper
0: it's funny. they said it's the same uh, model they use on all the rebels recons videos they just had them on set <laughs> for that day mm-hmm. and use the same one which is kind of cool
2: yeah um, and then, yeah, like I said, the ghost is in there a few times. Um, but anyway, so yeah, then um, the, the rebels back on Yavin find out that, oh, we've got guys on the ground on Scarif that are engaged with Imperial forces. Like, I don't know how that happened, but guess we better go help them out. Um, you know, the the guy goes and tells Mon Mothma and she's like, oh, well, where's Admiral Radis?" And he's like, uh, he's already on his ship on the way to Scarif. So yeah. <laughs> the rest of the rebels, you see them all scrambling into their fighters and taking off. And then, of course, you get the cameo from R2-D2 and C-3PO where 3PO's like, Scatif, Why are we going to Scatif? Ah, oh, 2 why doesn't anybody tell me anything?
0: know yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even hear what he said the first time because I got the loudest cheer <laughs> the whole movie. Even mm-hmm. the Vader sequences, I got the loudest.
2: Yeah, I think that might have gotten the loudest cheer from me um, or, you know, from my screening, just, you know, seeing those guys there again. But um, I don't know. I was still able to hear what he was saying.
0: Another moment, too, that I really liked. I think it came before Mon Mothma got the news that fight was going on with Scarif. But her and Bail Organa kind of walking out of the briefing and she, or you know, Bail Organa tells her, you know, I got to go back to Alderaan. And you're thinking, no, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he was saying, I got to for my people. There'll be no peace. And she kind of, the thought pops in her head, like, you know, we're going to need all the help we get. What about your Jedi friend? And then <laughs> this hearing Bail Organa utter the words, yep, he served me well in the Clone Wars. Hearing the words Clone Wars again, which is really cool. And from not only knowing their history um, in the series, which probably their biggest moment was on the Battle of Christophus, where the episode Cat and Mouse, that's where uh-huh. Obi-Wan Anakin really helped out Bail Organa. But then just even from the standpoint of A New Hope, where you hear Princess Leia saying to Obi-Wan, you served my father in the Clone Wars. So it's connecting to that also. That's always just, it was just really cool to hear those two words again. But that was just a nice moment between the two of them, knowing that, you know, kind of like they had the ace up their sleeve and Obi-Wan, and now's the time to, to go get him and see if he can help them out. Mm-hmm. And so I just love that little moment they had between them, even though it was kind of sad to hear Bale said he's going to Alderan And that's the last we're going to see, but it was still a pretty cool moment.
2: Yeah, and then of course we got the tease of Leia as well. That's Um, right, yep. Before even seeing her at the end, just sort of him hinting at it because um, he says he's going back to Alderaan, but then he said he'll send somebody else to go find Obi-Wan. And Mon Mothma's like, well, make sure it's somebody you trust. And he goes, oh, I would trust her with my life.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that was cool too.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, yeah, then all the rebel ships take off the fleet arrives at Scarif, we get the awesome space battle, we get the awesome ground battle with... Um, well,
0: awesome space battle. We'll talk about the ground battle.
2: <laughs> eh, I Oh, well, you probably just didn't like getting seeing all those AT-ATs getting taken out.
0: That didn't help. I'll, I'll admit that, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, no, I mean, I thought it was... I, again, I thought it was great just seeing the... I mean, just the intensity of, like, the shootouts and the the action and stuff. I mean, it definitely was not as much of a large-scale ground battle as I was expecting. Um, You know, this was not the Battle of Hoth. It certainly wasn't the Battle of Geonosis. But once you realize that the Rebels went in there with, like, 20 guys, like, yeah, it's not going to be a massive ground battle. It was more of a... uh, eh, I don't know what you'd call it, but...
0: Skirmish, <laughs> yeah,
2: a, a skirmish and incursion. Um, you know, but I thought again, I, I, I thought the action was great for what it was. I thought they did a great job of, um, you know, just displaying the intensity of it. Um, you know, of course, bays and chirrup and everybody got their moments to shine. Um, and then you see them, you know, running from the, uh, the ATACTs. Oh, by the way, did you catch when, um, there's that guy, Pow, who's like the frog-looking dude. Yeah. And when the ACTs C T S first show up, and he yells Carabast.
0: You know what? I didn't definitely didn't hear it the first time I saw it, but then I saw you know the different sides and saying, you know, here are some rebels Easter eggs that you made of this. <laughs> and I I specifically kept my ear open whenever he was on screen to hear that, and I still don't hear him say it. Like I hear him say something, but it doesn't sound like Carabast to me.
2: Well. <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing. I noticed it the second time around, and it doesn't sound exactly like it. I mean he kind of has like a high-pitched voice, and so it doesn't sound exactly like how Zeb says it, but he also you hear him say it before you actually see him on screen.
0: Okay. <clears throat> That's
2: what I okay. noticed. It's like when Baze looks up at the um looks up at the <clears throat> the AT. ACT for the first time, and then you just kind of hear like Kara, and then it cuts to pow, and he's going like BAST.
0: Okay, that, that'll probably make sense. Yeah, like I didn't he's notice he's, it when I actually see him. Okay, now I'm going to keep my ear open at that moment.
2: Yeah, yeah, just keep your ear open when as soon as the walkers start showing up. Okay, um, and you'll hear it before you actually see him.
0: Gotcha, that makes sense. And again, like I
2: said, it doesn't sound exactly like maybe what you, what you would expect, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what he says. Gotcha. So that was yep. also a neat little Easter egg. It's like, oh, some of these guys have been hanging around with Zeb.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be cool if he, that's where he got the word from. But, yeah, for me, this is probably where my biggest complaints lie with the movie. And you could say it's probably my fault for getting myself too hyped up for it. But then again, too, everyone was kind of building this up as the war, putting the war in Star Wars like we've never seen before. And I just... Didn't get that feeling when I saw that, because don't get me wrong, it was cool. It's a cool uh, action sequence with cool moments, but it's not on the same level as I view as some of the best Star Wars battle sequences ever. And I can even put some Clone Wars battles ahead of the Battle of Scarab. Just the ground missions I'm talking about because I love the space battle. I thought that was amazing, but as far as just pure <laughs> ground assault battles, I think there was some better stuff in the Clone Wars. And like you mentioned, Hoth, Geonosis, I felt those were better, and You're right, there wasn't that many soldiers on there to have that big-scale battle, but they were kind of building it up to be that. And I just don't think it lived up to those expectations. Maybe my fault for putting them that high for myself, but everyone kept saying this is probably the best Star Wars battle sequence you're ever going to see. And while it's definitely awesome, it's definitely not the best for me just yeah, I've seen it three times yet it's still not measuring up to some of the stuff I just mentioned. So, that's the complaint I have. And what ties into that is just so much stuff that was cut from the trailers. I mean, I kind of complained about that for the Force Awakens, but I think this one took it to a whole nother level. And the <laughs> ones that kind of irk me the most are the stuff we've seen on the Battle of Scarif. That whole sequence of Jin casting and K2, I still running across the beach with the AT-ACTs firing at them. I just remember being super blown away by that image, seeing that first trailer, and it was nowhere to be found in the movie. And it's... Because we also got a behind-the-scenes video stuff. of have seen Cassian jump into a trench with rebel soldiers firing his blaster. All that could help make it that epic battle It was kind of being built up to be, and we just didn't get it. And seeing it th- uh, three times now, one of the things that maybe kind of hurts it for me is how it's edited a little bit because there's never like this one long <clears> extended scene of showing the battle on Scarif where it lasts a minute or two to kind of really show you the immerse you into that battle sequence for a good period is I mean you get some chunks of it but then it cuts to another sequence whether it's Jin and Cassian and K2 in the tower or in the space battle it just never got that long cool action-packed moment on the surface of Scarif that I was hoping for, kind of like we've seen in Clone Wars episodes and Geonosis and Hoth. So, again, maybe it's my fault for building it up too much, but uh, it just didn't quite reach the level of expectations that I had for it and then being one of the best Star Wars battles ever. So that's something that hasn't improved on my subsequent viewings, kind of like certain other character moments have. This one is still something that's probably going to be a complaint that i have about it but again i don't want to make it sound like it's a bad action sequence or it's the worst it's definitely cool but being built as you know the war movie of star wars it didn't quite reach that level
2: mm-hmm. yeah i mean i can <clears throat> kind of hear where you're coming from on that like because i definitely had my expectations set really high too as far as what to expect from the battle scene here um but I don't know. I think for me it did kind of live up to that. I mean, it as I said, it wasn't as epic in scale as I was hoping for. Um, especially knowing that there were gonna be walkers involved and stuff. Like it, it just wasn't as much of a, a large scale, like all out war as I was expecting. But yeah. again, put in context of the story, it's like once you realize, oh, this isn't the whole rebel fleet, like going to Scarif and sending, you know, multiple troop transports down to the surface and stuff, like, this is one cargo shuttle full of guys, like, this isn't really, like, a huge battle, this is, you know, a a mission with firefights and stuff, like, this is, you know, these guys are almost, like, Navy SEALs on a mission here, as opposed to, like, a battalion of soldiers. So once I got used to that idea, um... Again, I I thought it was really cool just for what it was. I mean, I think I probably would rank this up there, not at the top of, like, the list of of best battles in Star Wars, but, you know, I I would say for me it's just among the best, um, but it's not like, oh, this is the biggest or the best or the most epic or, you know, the, the biggest in scale. It's just this is the really cool one where they had, you know, 10 or 20 you know rebel troops because i mean eventually you know you maybe start off with 10 in that first squad but then eventually the second squad with bodhi on the ship they get into the action and then the rebels do send another u-wing through the um through the shield gate and they drop off you know yeah that's one
0: of those instances where i felt that they just would have held on to that sequence a little longer see them have a firefight but as they're storming the beach and the stormtroopers mm-hmm. are on the other end but it cuts i don't know if it was a space battle or back to Jin and cats you know, but if it just stayed there a little longer it could have helped build that you know epic feel to this battle but mm-hmm. it didn't but-
2: yeah and and i definitely hear you there i mean there are a couple of moments where i feel like it cuts a little too fast um especially the the one i can point to in particular is where um <clears throat> like when, <clears throat> when k2so goes down And he locks Jin and Cassian in the vault so the stormtroopers can't get in. And they have to, like, climb up to get, like, the data module that they're looking for. It's like they're showing, like, the ground battle or something. And then they cut to Jin and Cassian in the room. And one of them, like, takes their blaster and shoots out the window. And then they cut to the space battle. And I'm like... Really? You couldn't have just, like, included that in the next part of the sequence where we see them, like, start climbing? Like, it felt kind of weird to just cut back to them for, like, five seconds, shoot out a window, and then go back to the next thing. Um,
0: It's almost like that weird edit moment in The Force Awakens where Kylo Ren has a raid, and all of a sudden it just goes to that store trooper. We need air support, then immediately back to Kylo Ren.
2: Oh, yeah, that is weird. (laughs) Um... So, yeah, I mean, maybe a little choppy on the editing there, but, I mean, at the same time, I can understand them wanting to, like, move the story along and not just have, you know, gratuitous amounts of battle scenes. Um,
0: Yeah, but, see, that's the thing. That's what they kept building up about this movie. Yeah,
2: but I don't know. Maybe we'll get the, uh, the director's cut with, you know, more war movie footage or something i I mean as, (laughs) as for the stuff that was cut from the trailers i mean it seems obvious to me that that was stuff that they changed in the reshoots um you know especially like when that first trailer ends with that shot of them you know running out the door and just looking up at the walker it's like i don't know how the movie was originally supposed to end but it seems pretty obvious that they changed a lot of the ending in the reshoots because You know, there's a lot of, you know, like you said, there are a lot of scenes in the trailers of Jin and Cassian, like, taking part in the battle out on the beach with Jin. you know, having the Death Star plans on her. Mm. And I'm like, it doesn't feel like that's just going to be, like, a deleted scene on the Blu-ray or something, because the way the movie is now, I don't see how that would fit in at all. Like, they never leave the tower once they get in there.
0: I was just thinking, too... If for a way to have that secret still being in there was I mean it yeah, wasn't in the editing room obviously but thinking where if they had to change it where they they had to send the transmissions they could have done it where they get the Death Star plans but then they had to get out of that bunker and travel to where the transmission tower is at and they leave that and that's where they encounter the ATACTs and they have to make their way through there to get to this other bunker to submit the transmission plans maybe that would have Dragged on the mm. movie a little bit longer than they wanted to and that got it cut But again, I think it just could it add to that Epic war battle that they were trying to build up in the trailers because they never removed it from the trailers No matter or TV spots no matter how close we got to release so kind of Maybe put it in perspective or get your expectation to check of saying, you know, maybe don't expect that Maybe kind of give you a little hint. Well, they're not showing that sequence a lot lately. So that something happened to it but no they kept Putting it in all the advertisement stuff, kind of just remember thinking as I'm seeing Cassian and Jin climb up to where the plans are at. I just thinking to myself, "Oh, we still got some more action left because we still got to see them running across the beach against those ATACTs." But I don't know; it's been going on for a while. Are we even going to get that? <laughs> and of course, mm-hmm. we didn't get it. So that's why I couldn't shake that feeling of disappointment once it was all over. So, yeah, it'd probably some. Sound- Eventually comes to terms to when I see it a million times years from now, and I'll just remember the movie for what it is. But right now, it still lingers (laughs) as one of my disappointments for it of you know not being as grand a scale of battle as I was hoping for, and can't help but think it could have been if those moments we saw in the trailer were still in the actual movie.
2: Yeah, well, I can say um, some of my initial gripes with just sort of the way the battle scene was constructed were, um, you know, after my first viewing, it wasn't so much to do with, like, the scale of it and how epic the battle was and stuff, but it was more sort of the way the story was constructed around it as far as some of these objectives that they had to do and the way that Bodhi was like, okay, now, you know, I need to, to patch into the comm system so we can send a message to the Rebel fleet to tell them to take out the shield gate so that we can send them a bigger message with the Death Star plans, and so I'm going to run over here with this cable thing on my back and, like, plug it into some terminal thing and then run back to the ship, and then somebody's got to run over here and flip the master switch, and then jin has got to go up to the tower and realign the satellite dish, and I was like... This all just feels like busy work.
0: This feels (laughs) like,
2: you know, somebody you know, just made this crap up so they, like, had something to do besides just, like, shoot stormtroopers for 20 minutes straight. Um, but even that, like, on my second viewing, I was like, okay, this isn't bugging me as much and it wasn't, you know, sort of standing out as much as it was the first time around. So um, I didn't mind it as much. And like I said, the the second time, I mean, it felt, like, almost perfect. Um, I mean... You know, not like it was the best movie ever or anything, but just like I didn't really have anything that stood out to me as, you know, something I really had a problem with um, the second time around. Um, Just, you know, again, I'm still not maybe super crazy about the CGI Tarkin, but even that, like I was kind of more used to the second time and it didn't quite, you know, kind of jar me as much as it did the first time.
0: Yeah, the thing with Bodhi and all that stuff, I kind of bought into it where, yeah, there would be some complex stuff that certain members of this Rebel team would have to do to get those plans out there. Yeah, maybe you know, there was a one steps too many on <laughs> what they had to do, but in the end, I thought <laughs> it made sense. But um, I guess just my to sum up my complaints <laughs> about that Battle of Scarif was it's all coming from just a pure fanboy perspective <laughs> of just wanting to get these cool awesome battle sequences that i'm going to remember as a star wars fan as being some of the best because the character moments story aspect of it it all played out great i have no complaints there again it's just uh, superficial fanboy complaints of wanting to see more of cool stuff because i love the setting of scarif i think it's already becoming one of my favorite planets It just looks so cool i kind of wish we got more Fights in the jungle aspect because they were just showed him running mm-hmm. through there without any action going on besides the ATACTs stomping on the trees. That looked cool, but I kind of wish we had some firefights going on in there. And I know it doesn't look like we're gonna get any more battles on Scarif, judging by what happened at the <laughs> end. So it's like this was its only time to have something cool in this type of environment of uh, the planet that Scarif was. So that that's my disappointment. But again. It's all just from uh, a super fan uh, expectations of cool battle sequence because when we go to Star Wars movies, I mean, that's what we kind of want to see. And I'm sure it lived up to some people's expectations, but for me, it just fell a bit short. But space battle, on the other hand, oh, man, (laughs) I absolutely loved it. I didn't know what to expect from the space battle as far as, you know, is it going to be something on the grand scale of A New Hope, which is my favorite space battle, or Revenge of the Sith, Return of the Jedi, and just kind of hoping (laughs) it wasn't on the Phantom Menace level or even Force (laughs) Awakens level where they just kind of felt shoehorned in there. But this one, it served its purpose well from a story standpoint and visually. Oh my goodness. (laughs) A lot of great camera and aerial shots of X-Wings trying to take down the shield gate and even Star Destroyers. I just love the views we got of X-Wings and Y-Wings using, or Y-Wings, Using their ion bombs to take out the the power of a star destroyer, it looks so cool and stuff. I've seen in games from years past, like X Wing vs. Tie Fighter or Rogue Squadron, those type of games. And seeing it in the movie play out like it did, which is so cool. And we got some cool nods, seeing Gold Leader and Red Leader, which I wasn't expecting, which was a pretty cool uh, and natural thing I think to have in there because from a story standpoint, it makes sense that they would be involved in this. Battle that leads right up to the Battle of Yavin and the Death Star so mm-hmm. all that was cool from a visual standpoint we got like I said We got to see the ghosts and another rebels Easter egg of the hammerhead ship that we saw in the season two episode of Princess on where Leia helped them get those three Transport ships and we saw them put to good use because that was the only way they were getting that shield down so and TIE fighters had their moments, too. Being an Imperial guy, it was cool to not just see TIE fighters get blown up, but they had their moments in the TIE strikers taking down some X-wings and rebel ships. So all in all, it was a great, well-balanced fight between the two, and visually it looked amazing with a great uh, ending to it when you see those two Star Destroyers just collide into each other and just tear each other apart, which brings down the gate. So the, base, the space battle, it's ranking up there was one of my favorites. It's definitely in the top three. Um, but I don't think it's going to be hard for me to anything to surpass a New Hope space battle, but the Scarab Battle and Revenge of the Sith are kind of going back and forth right now because I really love the space battle. I thought it would it surpassed my expectations, whereas the ground battle kind of didn't meet my expectations. So I'm glad one of them did.
2: Yeah, you know, that's interesting because uh, I wouldn't say I feel the opposite because I love the space battle, too. But that was the thing for me where I was, like, expecting this to be, like, my new favorite space battle out of all the movies. And it didn't quite reach that level. And I wouldn't necessarily say that this was, like, a criticism for me um, because it's just the way the story unfolded. Um, And, you know, it just kind of makes sense. But I think the one key element that was missing to bring it up to the level of, like, some of my favorite space battles from the other movies Was just that we didn't really have like a main hero to follow in the space battle. Um,
0: The original Red 5 wasn't your hero?
2: uh, No, (laughs) although that was kind of a neat little Easter egg that, you know, it's funny because I didn't even catch that the first time around. And I think it was just because like he was kind of like a chubby, like goofy looking dude that. Mm -hmm. When I first saw him, I didn't even notice the name because I was more just thinking like, oh, he's the Porkins of this movie. (laughs) That was like literally what I thought of. And then the second time I was like, oh, that's why I didn't catch that. Like he was Red 5 and then he dies. And so that's why, you know, there's a uh, job opening for Luke in A New Hope. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah, I thought that was a cool little touch right there. (laughs) Yeah, that
2: was pretty funny. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I would still say this is... Well, I mean, it's up there, but it's not like we've had a ton of space battles in the other movies, but I would say... See, for me, I think the space battle in Return of the Jedi is my favorite. So Battle of Endor is at number one. Battle of Yavin is probably still number two. And then this one is probably, like, as of right now, I'd say maybe tied for third with Revenge of the Sith right now. Um, Definitely, I would say tops Revenge of the Sith in terms of just, like, scale and, like, the amount of stuff that we get to see in the battle. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, see, I I like the one in Revenge of the Sith because we're following, you know, the two heroes that we know and love in Anakin and Obi-Wan, whereas the one in Rogue One yeah, there's not really anybody to root for in the space battle. I mean, yeah, there's Admiral Raddus and there's, you know, Red Leader and Gold Leader, but there's not like a main character of the movie. You know, we don't have like a a Luke or a Han or a Lando or a Poe Dameron, somebody like that, um, that you really want to see sort of have their heroic moment in the space battle. It's everybody just kind of, um, you know, doing their part to try to you know, buy time for Jin and everybody down on the surface and take out the shield gate so that they can get the Death Star plans. Um, so that I think is the only thing that keeps it from being, you know, maybe like number one or two on my list. Um, but again, I, I, you know, it's not really a criticism cause that's just the way that the story is constructed. I mean, if Cassian were like a fighter pilot or something, then maybe it would be a different story, but, um yeah certainly lots of cool shots there um lots of cool action i mean i just love that shot at the beginning of the battle where they're like you know well first of all just the shot from like where the camera's like on top of an x-wing like right behind the astromech droid and it like comes out of hyperspace and you see that there's already a few rebel ships there in front of it but then you just see all the other ships coming out of hyperspace behind it and i love the um you know, the big rebel sort of cruiser that uh, Admiral Raddus is on, kind of reminded me of, um, you know, just a little bit. It reminded me of, like, the Destiny Ascension from Mass Effect.
0: Hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that you mentioned it.
2: Yeah, I mean, not necessarily in the design of the ship, but it just in the sense that there's, you know, this massive fleet of ships of all different, you know, origins and, and uh, you know, designs and stuff and then right in the middle you've got like the one massive flagship like the rebels have never really had that um, i mean in return of the jedi you got home one but there are a bunch of similar looking you know mon calamari cruisers in that battle um, so to have like the one big unique ship in the middle of the whole fleet i thought was a really cool just sort of visual touch Um, but then when they're like, okay, you know, red squad, gold squad, you stay in, you know, protect the fleet, blue squadron, get through that gate before they close it. And you just got the shot of the X-wings, you know, coming towards the camera and then they all just dive and, you know, the camera kind of follows them as they, you know, kind of like roll and dive down towards the shield gate. And man, that was just, I mean, just some of the, the choreography of some of those, you know, movements. And then, yeah, like you said, shots of, um you know the dog fights and taking out star destroyers and all that kind of stuff it was you know really well done um so really cool exciting stuff there i love that
0: just real quick to um, the point you were talking about earlier where like none of the main characters were a pilot and there i kind of got to give him props for not doing that because it could have been easy you know just okay one of the main characters has to be you know the best pilot of the group and they got to be in the space battle but i kind of liked it where no all of them had their mission on the battle of Scarif, <laughs> and they just kind of weren't rehashing i want to say rehash because it works for those movies but you know like poe dameron like you mentioned he was the pilot of the group so he has to be the pilot that takes out star killer base and you know lando doing his thing in return of the jedi so i'm just glad that all the main characters had their place on scarif but then we got to just see other parts of the rebellion do their thing in the space battle it didn't feel like they had they felt obligated where they needed one of their main characters to be a pilot. It was good that, you know, them in its own way being different where they all had their own mission and not to be, feel like they were shooting horn into doing something that didn't feel quite natural. So I got to give them props for doing that and just sticking to their original plan for all these characters.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm not saying they should have put one of the main characters in. Um you know in the space battle certainly not cheer i mean you know (laughs) um
0: he could have said that line again are you kidding me
2: (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah you know again so like i said it's not really a criticism it's just like something that could have been cool if there was a way to like work that into the story like even if we had gotten to see like wedge or biggs in the space battle like that would have been awesome
0: yeah um Kind of surprised it didn't get wedged, honestly.
2: Yeah, or if it had just so happened to work out. That, I mean, heck, even if we had seen like Hera, like I was almost expecting to see, you know, w- with all the, you know, just brief shots of random different rebel pilots that we saw. Like, how cool would it have been to actually see like a live action Hera in the Ghost know, for just man. one moment? Um, I was at
0: least expecting her to call in when Admiral <clears throat> Radis was saying, "All the ships report in." I was expecting to hear Vanessa Marshall's voice to say, "The ghost checking in or standing by, something mm-hmm. like that." But the I guess they were settled on just you know hearing over the intercom on Yavin about General Sendula report to the briefing room. But I was kind of hoping since we got that we would have gotten to actually hear Hera say, you know, the ghost is reporting in or standing by mm-hmm.
2: although i have heard people say that like apparently vanessa marshall is credited like in the credits as just additional voices yeah um and you know she could just be the voice of like a female you know alien or stormtrooper or something like that but also you know maybe just in some of like the background chatter that's going on during the battle like maybe there's a hero line like buried in there somewhere
0: <laughs> yeah buried um, that's the case why they keep it hidden like
2: that yeah but again like you know I don't know. I, I've on the on the one hand I think it's fine the way they did it and I I think it maybe would have been too gratuitous to actually have Hera be like a main character in the movie and have her be the one that's like, okay, let's go Y Wing Squadron. We're gonna go bomb that Star Destroyer. Um but at the same time like that would have been really cool.
0: I know, yeah. It definitely <laughs> would have been a like crowd cheering moment for those who watched Rebels actually see her in live action. It would have been pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I mean, I, I still definitely love the space battle, though, um, love the ground battle, love the setup of the whole thing. Um, but then, of course, we get to the point where, um, you know, as we were, you know, discussing and speculating before the movie came out, trying to guess, you know, whether or not any of the characters would make it out of this movie alive,
1: Mm -hmm. Um, and then
2: you know as you get towards the end of the battle slowly but surely you see them start getting taken out one by one um with k2so being the first to go which was kind of sad because i was thinking like if anything he might be the one to survive
0: yeah he was like remember one of our early episodes we were debating like how many would survive he was i think i had three he was one of my three but as we know, it wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, he did have a nice moment where, you know, Jin gives him a blaster and it kind of, you know, it wasn't even like a story arc for him. But again, just sort of bringing it sort of full circle as far as their relationship. And it's like the movie starts out with him complaining about why does she get a blaster and I don't. And then she gives him a blaster and he says something like, you know, your behavior, Jin or so, is continually unexpected. Um, and it's like the closest thing he can come to, like giving her a nice yeah. compliment or something. Um but then we see he clearly knows how to use that thing. Um, oh, yes, he does, <laughs> and and can shrug off more than one blaster hit too. Because um, by the time he finally goes down, he's all torn up, full of blaster holes. Um, yeah,
0: there's tons of bodies of stormtroopers. And, <laughs> and yeah, and <laughs> he has taken out
2: lots of stormtroopers along the way. Um, and of course, you know he he goes down defending Jin and Cassian, and try, you know keeping stormtroopers from getting to them in the vault. And then you know he, as his sort of final act, he just smashes the control console and locks the door um, so the troopers can't get in there after them. Um, and then you know, so so Jin and Cassian start climbing up this huge tower of uh, you know data discs, basically, and Jin gets the one. Uh, that has the death star plans. Um and then meanwhile, you know, out in the battle, uh, you know, Bodie gets his cable run across to wherever he had to plug into and he's, you know, got the transmission ready to send from the ship, but he needs somebody to to flip the master switch. And in the meantime, Krennic has sent his death troopers to join the battle. Um and Tim, I'm yeah. sure these guys did not disappoint you.
0: Okay, this can be the moment where I can geek out about the Death Troopers. <laughs> yes, yes, I know you've waited a long time for this moment. Oh yes, and thank goodness they did not disappoint for me, <laughs> Captain Phasma Part Two. They were not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting them to do too much until we got to the Battle of Scarif. But even then, they just—they had their moments, just standing there looking imposing next to Krennic, especially in the beginning when he confronted Galen and. I guess just to bring out too the voices of the Death Troopers first, which I definitely wasn't expecting them to sound like that, and but at first it kind of threw me off, like huh, I don't know if that works or not. But by the time I heard more of it, more of it, and I started thinking about it, I go, no, I think it actually works pretty cool for them because um, they're actually kind of gives them the effect because they're really tall and they're supposed to look imposing and intimidating, <laughs> and if that's just kind of uh, another fear tactic to their enemies where. Maybe they're thinking, oh, man, they must be more than human. or they aliens in there? Like, what are these creatures if you can't really understand what they're saying? So I kind of figure between their comics, they can understand each other. But what comes out from their helmets is all jumbled and you can't make it out. It just kind of adds to that effect of their enemies. Like, oh, what are we dealing with here? What are these things? So mm-hmm. I did like it, even though it kind of took me out, took me away a little bit when I first hit it. because I wasn't expecting them to sound like that. But in the end, I liked it. And props to Matt Wood for creating a unique unique sound for doing the voices of these Death Troopers. So I did like that effect. But seeing him in action, once Krennic said, tell my uh, guard to engage in battle, I was like, oh boy, here we go. And we get that moment where we see the landing ship get close to the water, the doors open and the Death Troopers come out and they just start firing their blasters. And that's another one of those instances where I go, no, don't cut away from that shot. <laughs> just show a little <laughs> bit more of the but once they get back to that battle sequence, you see them make their way into their trench, and you're seeing the Rebel soldiers try to run away, but they're just mowing them down like I would expect them to do <laughs> and not seeing them miss their targets. And I just love the way they moved and they positioned themselves once they got into that trench. And once uh, Chirrut Bays and Melshi, I think was the Rebel soldier's name, him and one of the other soldiers get into that bunker, and they realize, oh, man, there's the master switch. It's right there, but we got to go through those death troopers that are sitting or are right across from us in that trench. And I just loved how they were, were ready for no matter who tried to make their way out there. There was that first soldier who just goes, I'm going. He doesn't take two steps. And the uh, death trooper looks like they had a sniper rifle, just gunned him down so quick. I was like, yes, those are the elite troopers of the Empire I was hoping <laughs> to see just... Doing their job and taking out the rebel soldiers with ease. So yeah, I was really happy with them. And then the final moment with uh, And I'm getting a little ahead of myself but just to close the door on the Death Troopers with Baze and how we took him out I was totally okay with that and I said before where my ultimate Fanboy dream of how they would get taken out was because I'm sure other people kind of expected this to happen where Krennic would meet his end with Darth Vader and maybe the deaths he'd bring his Death Troopers was kind of like the last defense, and we'd see them try to take on Vader, but we know it wouldn't go good. But that didn't happen, obviously, but I was still pretty happy the way they were taken out here, because it was an emotional moment for Baze, and as we discussed already how powerful his gun was, mm-hmm. uh, it was able to take them, I could buy into that gun, <laughs> taking them out pretty quickly, and still, they got a few hits in with Baze as well, so it wasn't like they just kept missing them, they were able to take them down, and If only that one Death Trooper could have just stayed in that trench, throw the grenade, he could have gotten it without being (laughs) shot. But we knew they all had to go anyway. So I wasn't like expecting them to survive this movie. I knew they were probably going to die eventually. So I was kind of happy the way they went out too. So all in all, they had a great showing in this movie. It's great not to be disappointed with (laughs) some characters I had high expectations for. It looked awesome. So yeah, Death Troopers, I love them now. I'm ready to kind of put them ahead of captain phasma just <laughs> how awesome <laughs> they look and for actually getting things done but hopefully captain phasma could turn me around in episode eight but right now i'm all about the death troopers still i was super excited for yeah. how it turned out.
2: i mean i still think phasma looks cooler especially because i just realized we never got to see in the movie the death troopers with those cool looking green lights on their helmets
0: you know what i thought of that the other day too, that could be my one complaint <laughs> about them. Yeah, Especially when they were on Edu in the rain, and they still weren't on. I was like, "Come on!" Right,
2: that would have been so perfect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely you know they they served a, a good purpose in the story, being that you know as as deadly and effective as they were. Um, and even the fact too that it's not like they showed up and the rebels just started dying in like. You know, a a huge hail of blaster fire where there were, like, blaster bolts flying all over the place and, you know, a couple of them hit their mark. No, it was like once the Death Troopers showed up, it was like one shot, one kill, you know? They weren't, like, spraying fire all over the place. It was like, I aim, I pull my trigger, and a rebel falls, you know? And then, like you said, when that one guy was hiding in the bunker and then Bodhi's telling him like, I need somebody to go hit that master switch. And the guy like literally just like sticks his head out. Like he takes one step and boom, (laughs) he's he's down. Like, yeah. So they, so they were, you know, really deadly effective, but then also that served to set up, um, big moment too. And this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier when I said that, um, you know, I, I feel like in this moment, um, the force was definitely sort of acting through him and around him and protecting him. Where he's like, oh, okay, the master switch is over there. I'm going. And he just steps out and he's walking with, you know, he's not like running and making a break for it. He's just holding his staff out in front of him, walking through this hail of blaster fire all around him and not getting touched and just chanting what I've already seen, you know, being quoted a ton online and being used for memes and stuff but you know his his, his sort of (laughs) prayer chant almost of I'm one with the force and the force is with me I'm one with the force and the force is with me and probably my favorite meme I've seen so far is um, from the beginning of A New Hope where R2D2 and C-3PO are running across the hallway as the rebels and stormtroopers are shooting at each other across (laughs) the sides and they're going I'm one with the force and the force is with me
0: (laughs) I would see
2: that one, but that's odd. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, Chirrut is is chanting that and then just walking through and doesn't take a single hit from these Death Troopers. And then he gets to the console where the master switch is. He flips the switch. And at that point, I'm like, I would love it if he could keep dodging blaster bolts and just, you know, run into that trench and start smacking around Death Troopers with his stick. But you get the sense that, you know, especially in a war movie like this where you know like people are going to start dying and stuff as soon as he hits that switch you know like oh, okay like this is his part of the mission like he's served his purpose now mm. um and sure enough he basically he he just flips the switch he turns around and smiles at bays and then a death trooper doesn't shoot him but shoots the console behind him which you know makes a big explosion and and sends cheer flying and
0: Yeah, it was almost like, okay, I can't hit you. I'm going to hit the machine. You're standing right next to you. (laughs) Yeah,
2: which, again, pretty smart. Um, You know, now I don't know if the Force would have kept protecting him anyways because, again, he had sort of served his purpose in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, the the Death Trooper was pretty resourceful right there. Um,
0: So, Kyle, I think I could finally tell you now that what was spoiled at Celebration Europe was the actor who played Baze telling us that true it was the one who died <laughs> yeah
2: and you know i i heard that from uh from joey after we saw the movie um because i think like during the credits i asked him i was like okay now that i've seen the movie like who was it that he that he spoiled who died yeah. i kind of got the feeling because i had i had found out from somebody like who like i was like okay i kind of want to know a little bit but i don't want to know who dies so tell me like which actor was it who gave away the spoiler and they said it was the guy who played bays And so I was thinking, like, okay, well, because it's the guy who plays Baze, I could see him maybe giving away that Chirrut dies, because they're kind of a team, so maybe he says, like, well, you know, he dies, and then I go do this, but then I was also thinking that... See, I mean, I figured out pretty early on from the trailers, I was like, I'm pretty sure Saw is going to die because when he has that line where he says, save the rebellion, save the dream, you know, he's kind of like crying that out in desperation. And then also when you look at that shot in the trailer, you can see like dust crumbling around him and stuff. And so I was like, oh, wait, so like there's going to be some kind of massive explosion or something, you know, we we had seen. And at that point. We hadn't even seen the shots from, like, the international trailers of the Death Star actually firing its laser.
1: Mm, So I
2: I wasn't sure. Like, I didn't necessarily know that that was what was going to happen. But we saw those shots of the U-Wing, like, outrunning the destruction on Jeddah and, you know, flying through, like, the waves of debris. So I was like, obviously, there's going to be some big catastrophic event and I was like, oh, it looks like Saw's gonna die in that, so maybe that's who he gives away, or, you know, maybe that's the, the spoiler that he gave away, was that, you know, okay, after Saw dies, then we go on and do this, and he maybe gave it away because it happens, like, halfway through the movie, and so he didn't think it was that big of a spoiler. Um, and I was thinking maybe same thing with Galen so too, but, no, sure enough, it was cheer. but then that turned out to not be too big of a spoiler, because everybody dies in the movie. Um so but I will say I'm proud of myself that I managed to stay away from that like I, I didn't get that spoiled for me at all before the movie came out. So
0: And so now you could finally watch that panel.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I, I was, you know, reading stuff online like I'm one with the Force of the Forces with me, I'm one with the Force of the Forces with me, and no spoilers hit me.
1: Yep.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, that's what's
0: gotta be in there at the end now. <laughs> for episode eight, that's gotta be the new meme.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, for when we're, like, reading reports and stuff. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, that was, a you know, a great sort of way to wrap up Chewbacca's story in the movie and then, um, you know, as Baze is, you know, holding him as he's dying and he says, you know, just look for the Force and you'll find me. Um, and Baze sort of has his moment where he finally, you know, decides to trust in the Force after the whole movie. He's kind of been cynical about it. Um, and, you know, there's an interesting backstory there, because at one point, you know, Chirut is, well, he's doing his chant again, and it's like when they're in the cell at, at uh, Saw's hideout, and Bayes is like, oh, he's praying for the door to open, like, yeah, like, that's ever gonna happen, and then Chirut says something like, you know, he only mocks me because he knows it's possible, like, Bayes Malbus was once the most devoted guardian out yeah. of all of us, Um so I, I would love to see, like, you know, maybe a comic series or something about um Baze and Jirud's early years together and what it was like just, you know, them being the guardians of this Jedi Temple and sort of what that all entailed.
0: Yeah, and I like how, too, that they're called the Guardians of the Wills, kind of a throwback yeah. to George Lucas's original ideas about Star Wars and how they're guardians of the Kyra Crystal that Temple. So I'm totally in agreement with you that the sooner we get more backstories and uh, a little history with Chirrut and Baze, uh, I'd be all over that because there's so much cool potential there for stories and adventures that they would have together. And we know there are going to be some funny moments because every time they were kind of talking with each other or going back and forth, it was great. The moment you mentioned and then when they first rescued uh, Jin and Cassie and they we were like, are you Jedi? So there's no Jedi here except people who believe it like this fool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, stuff like that, their interacting together was really good. So I completely agree.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah, would definitely love to see more stories with the two of them, but um, you know, just to see Bay's sort of, you know, in that moment, you know, sort of come back to to the belief in the force, and then him, you know, just pick up his gun and he starts chanting, "I'm one with the force, and the force is with me," yeah. and just walking through the the hail of blaster fire. And like you said, he does still take a couple hits, and I like that he doesn't just go all. Rage mode, and uh, you know, he, he didn't pull a Chewie, you know, have a, a moment like Chewie did in The Force Awakens after Han <laughs> gets stabbed oh. and Chewie just goes ballistic and starts tearing up every stormtrooper in the place. Um,
0: yeah, that's Chewie's awesome moment, so <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> I and yeah,
2: that. no, I, I love seeing Chewie do that, but you know, again, especially with this being sort of a, a more gritty and grounded and realistic movie, and the, you know, also knowing that these characters are all, you know, more or less expendable. Um, Whereas, you know, if in The Force Awakens, if Han got killed and Chewie got killed two minutes later, I would be shocked. But in this case, to, you know, see Baze sort of go out in a blaze of glory, you know, avenging his friend and taking out all these death troopers, I thought, you know, it was perfectly fitting. Um, Although Baze actually lasts longer than Bodhi, because you see Chewie get... You know, cheer dies, and then immediately, you know, it goes to Bodhi in the ship, and he's like, "Oh, okay." You know, he he hit the master switch, so let me activate this thing and send the message to the fleet. And then immediately, a shore trooper comes up and just tosses a, you know, tosses a grenade into the ship where uh, Bodhi is sending the transmission from, and blows up the shuttle. So he's gone.
0: Yeah, you know what? That um, was the death that <clears throat> kind of got me the most at that point because it was like, "Oh man, this is." I don't think anyone's getting out of this thing alive. Here, we just saw K two Chir- now. Bodhi, who looked like out of all of them, was in the most protected space in that ship. But he mm. even got caught in the crossfire. And this is what made it mm. hurt a little more. Was that he got the he reached Admiral Radis. He told him what they need to do. His mission was accomplished, but then this very short lived as that short trooper chucked the grenade in there. And just the look on his face was kind of like uh, kind of accepting it, but knowing. I completed my mission. Then you just see the ship blow up. And yeah, and I think, and I think he,
2: of, I think he even says like, "This is for you, Galen."
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's Yeah, another great callback right there. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing the ship blow up from Baze—that's kind of what really got him going because you know he was still mourning the death of Chirrut. But then now he probably figured Bodhi was in there. Now he's gone. It's kind of like, okay, this is it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna take these guys out. Like this is gonna be my last stand. So I just love how. It kind of all played together. That one moment where these three characters we saw their end, but yet it was sad, but yet fitting, and they still kind of triumphant in a way. The way Baze took out those stormtroopers or the death troopers, as mm-hmm. much as it was to see that. But.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it took them all out, and just you know, the last one that he killed was running at him with a grenade, and he shot the guy down. But then he falls right next to him with the grenade still active in his hand, and yeah. um, you know, so Baze meets his end there. Um, And then meanwhile, you know, Jin and Cassian are still climbing up the tower, and Krennic comes after them, and, uh, you know, he's shooting down at him, and Cassian takes out the two death troopers that are there with Krennic. Um, But then Krennic, you know, lands a shot near Cassian that makes him lose his grip and fall, and at first I was thinking, like, oh, crap, is he just gonna, like, fall to his death? Um, Because all you see is... Well, you see him kind of, like, bounce off a couple, like, Mm. pillars, but then... You just see Jin's face as you hear more, like, you know, thudding noises. And I was like, oh, man, is it just going to, like, stay on this shot of her face? And you just assume that, you know, he kept on falling to his death. But then it shows him lying on, like, a platform that's not even that far down. And I was like, oh, he's fine.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know he's not dead. <laughs> he's going to come back at the last minute to help Jin. <laughs> yeah,
2: which is exactly what happened. She gets to the top of the tower. She, you know transmits the or you know starts transmitting the the death star plans um but then of course there's always that was the one other thing that i i kind of felt was a little um i don't know contrived i guess is when she inserts the plans and tries to start transmitting them and then it's like you know realign uh the the radar dish or something and so it's like oh now i gotta go out to the end of this catwalk and hit a switch on this other console and then come back over here but when I get back over here, Krennic is going to be there. I mean, it almost felt like a video game in a sense. Like, yeah. you know, just these different objectives that you had to hit. And it's like, oh, this is like the final stage before the boss fight. And you have to, you know, go and flip this switch to, to you know, complete the final objective that's going to make the cutscene play. And then the final boss fight start, yeah. and, you know.
0: Oh, not to mention a tie striker firing down on the platform to make yeah. that much more trouble So although but they it, did
2: cut the shot from the trailer where just the regular tie fighter like comes up right in front of her right there i know
0: I like that's another thing i wanted to see how that played out or played out was that actually you know just a trailer shot or did that play out a different way where it gets taken out by somebody else i don't know i'm really curious about that sequence too
2: yeah you know it's funny cuz i know like even with the force awakens that you kind of had an issue with the fact that you know there were so many shots in the trailer that weren't in the movie and And, you know, I was kind of defending them and saying, like, oh, well, you know, it's not final, and they were still in the editing process, and, you know, it didn't really bother me at all on The Force Awakens, but with Rogue One, I won't say, I I don't know if I would say it bothered me, but it was definitely, you know, kind of left me scratching my head a little bit, I was like, you know, and, like I said, when, you know, we know they did a lot of reshoots over the summer, so I'm not surprised that there was a lot of stuff from the first trailer that was cut, but when there's stuff from, you know, the second and third trailers, you know, sort of prominent scenes. I mean, there were even scenes with Vader, too, that didn't make the final cut of the movie. I'm yeah. like, there was, it is a little confusing, you know,
0: I mean. You know, it's almost borderline false advertising in a way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, I mean. Because it the, gets you excited to see all that stuff. And when it's not there, it's like, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> kind of like I said with the scene of them running on the beach. It's like, I was really looking forward to that when It's not there. You can't help but be a little bummed out.
2: Yeah, and it's like you know i mean i wouldn't say it's false advertising necessarily because again the point of the advertisement is just to get you there in the movie and you're still seeing the same movie that you were expecting even though even if it doesn't have all the same footage you know it's not like they cut the trailers to make it look like a drama and then it was actually more like a lighthearted, you know adventure movie Mm -hmm. where everybody survived in the end and the stakes weren't even that high um that's a good point you know it's like the the trailers definitely did a good job of conveying sort of the tone of the movie and and the feel of it and everything. And you, you got a sense of what you were going to be in for, but you know, so again, that's why I'm like, I'm not super critical of them for cutting stuff out. I'm just wondering why they did so much, especially from the more recent trailers. It's like, well, by that point, you should have had a better grasp on like what was actually going to be in the final cut, right? Like, I don't know. What was going on there?
0: Even these TV spots, too. They all had those shots that Mm -hmm. weren't in there. Yeah. I know. I can't wait to find out the reasoning for that. Hopefully, if we get it. we still haven't gotten the Making of Force Awakens book, and who knows if we'll ever get that.
2: Yeah. I mean, with TV spots, I can kind of understand, because they're just recutting all the footage from all the trailers. Um,
0: Yeah, but I I don't have any idea how the marketing works with the editing process. Maybe they don't even talk to each other, but I just can't help but think... As they get closer to the release, they would know what the final edit is is and know what's in it and not, but not to include that in, like, the later TV spots, but again, maybe they have nothing to do with each other, and they just do what they already have, kind of like you said, and Mm -hmm. just, you know, whatever the edit of the movie is, it's what it is, and whatever the advertisement is, that's what that is, but... Yeah, uh, I'm sorry if I'm sounding too much of a Debbie Downer about all that stuff not being in the movie, but I just can't help it at this point. But I think
2: I'll get over it. Well, no, and that's what I'm saying, though, is, like, you know, it maybe doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you, but this was the, you know, this movie was the first time where I was like, oh, you know, Tim's kind of got a point there. Like, again, like, it doesn't, like, make or break the movie for me, because, you know, I mean, you could go into the movie without seeing any of the trailers, and that wouldn't, you know affect your opinion whatsoever but it's just you know at the same time it's like it is just kind of odd like i wonder why they you know put so much stuff in the trailers that wasn't in the movie um but anyway so of course you know there's the sort of the final showdown with krennic up there where um, Jin, you know, finally meets him face to face and reveals that she's Galen Erso's daughter, and that you know, this is sort of the final culmination of his revenge. And then, you know, Krennic is gonna shoot Jin, but then he gets shot instead, and you see that Cassian, you know, has show, uh, has arrived to save the day. Um, and like you said, there's that cool moment, um, in the, the space battle where. The Rebels, you know, disable one of the Star Destroyers and then use the Hammerhead Cruiser to push the disabled Star Destroyer into the other Star Destroyer and just crash them together. And, you know, the wreckage of the two of them falls and takes out the shield gate and Jin uploads the Death Star plans and everything is looking good until uh, you hear, you know, Admiral, there's a massive object emerging from (laughs) hyperspace. Oh man, that shot where it
0: reveals it, so cool. Yeah,
2: like, and again, this is another one of those moments where the music is just perfect. And it's so, like, the music is so beautiful, and yet it's such a sort of ominous, foreboding moment, um, which has kind of been looming in the background the entire time because, like, at the beginning of the Battle of Scarif... Like when just it was the first, you know, the small team that first landed um, on the planet and the rebels are, you know, getting the transmission back on Yavin like, oh, there's rebel activity on uh, on Scarif. Well, the Imperials are getting the same reports and Tarkin is on the Death Star and hears that there's rebel activity on Scarif and he's like, okay, well, you know, prepare the hyperdrive and set a course for Scarif and alert Lord Vader.
0: Yeah, I was um, like, oh, by the way, don't forget to tell Darth Vader. <laughs>
2: yeah, so we knew that this was, you know, that even if the rebels were, were successful um, over just the forces on Scarif, that there were going to be reinforcements coming, and uh, that they were not light reinforcements. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: to put it elegantly, yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, so... You know, then, of course, like I said, you just got this beautiful music playing as the Death Star just rises over the horizon. And I have to say, I mean, Krennic might have one of my favorite deaths of of any Star Wars villain so far. Um I mean, Vader still has my favorite one, obviously, just because of the whole emotional moment of him getting redeemed sure. and everything. But it's just sort of so poetic how... um you know, just the, the look of realization on Krennic's face as he realizes that, you know, this, I mean, he, he almost did choke on his ambitions in a way, like the fact that he, (laughs) he, he put so much of his life and, and time and effort and dedicated his career towards building this death machine. And then realizing that the empire is going to use it on him. Um because basically, you know, you thought it was bad that Cassian was willing to kill one informant to keep quiet. You know, Tarkin realizes that the plans for the Death Star are hidden at the base on Scarif, and that's probably what the rebels are going after. So he's like, let's just wipe out the entire complex just to be safe. Um,
0: and two, remember the general did say, or he did ask for Krennic, and the general <laughs> next target says he's actually on Scarif. He's almost like, oh, even better. <laughs> like, I could get rid of him too, type of thing.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, then of course Krennic watching as as Tarkin tells him to fire, and you know he, they fire the Death Star laser, which actually doesn't hit the complex, you know, you know doesn't doesn't hit like the island itself, but just sort of grazes the top of the tower where Krennic is. Um, So, Krennic, you know, got, like, instantly pulverized by the Death Star laser as it goes sort of flying off into the distance and explodes, you know, off in the ocean. And it was funny because my first thought watching that was, like, huh, they missed. But clearly, and, you know, after seeing when they wiped out Jeddah City earlier in the movie, like, it creates a huge wave of destruction And the whole reason they did that, it was just sort of intentional from a a storytelling standpoint, just to give Jin and Cassian their their nice little emotional moment. Because by this point, they've already come out of the tower. Um, But by this point, like, there's really no escape for them. Like, the shield... Well, the shield gate has been destroyed, but, you know, the rebel ships are all kind of retreating. Like, they've got the Death Star plans, they're out of there. Um, And, you know, the Death Star is here now, so nobody's really going to stick around to rescue them and now they're they're just like on the beach watching this massive explosion off in the distance that they know is going to kind of you know that's going to come and uh engulf them so um it's just kind of their their moment of knowing that they succeeded that they accomplished their mission and you know just sort of facing their end
0: um yeah it was so well done though yeah it was shot, directed. Like you said, the music played out. Just, uh, uh, yeah, not even bittersweet, because what's sweet about it? <laughs> I mean, they they completed their mission, but yet they made the ultimate sacrifice for the mission. And I got to be honest with you, going into it, I wasn't expecting the, all the main characters to die. But when we got to that moment, it just felt natural where they kind of had to. or It just made the story that much more real, that much more impactful. And they did it in such a great way. The way they're embracing each other at the end as the energy waves coming towards them and that look Cassian gives, uh, kind of looks at the camera, at the audience kind of a way is like the last look of shock of getting that impact of that blast is really hit you in that moment. So it was done perfectly. And again, kind of going back to where I said, I wish we had more moments with these characters on my first viewing to kind of get that much more attached to them. Uh, I feel that attachment now when I see it again, just knowing what they've been through, what they sacrificed <laughs> to get this job done. It's really impactful, and just a great moment. But I got to say, it's a small moment in this sequence, but it's one of my favorites of the whole movie. It's mainly because of the music, and just the visual. That shot you see of just Vader looking out, his Star Destroyer looking at the battle, and just that great piece of music from the track, <laughs> Your Father Would Be Proud I, there's something about it that really stuck out to me. It's an emotional piece, but yet you're seeing the frightening image of Darth Vader and his helmet. But he does—he mm-hmm. almost looks at a moment of reflection where he's seeing this battle. Maybe it's taking him back to the Clone Wars where he hasn't seen a battle like this since then. I just love that image of the way Vader's face looks in there. Because even though it's the same mask, there's moments throughout the original trilogy where you could see different facial expressions on that helmet. I felt mm-hmm. this is one of them just the way that music went with it it just really stuck a chord with me for whatever reason but i just loved how both of those went together and just that whole sequence played out so beautifully from the death of cassian and jinn to vader showing up i mean how awesome was it when that star destroyer <laughs> came out of nowhere when it looks like the rebel fleet was making their jump to hyperspace some got out but then some just ran right into the star mm-hmm. It was just so cool. That whole sequence was amazing.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, so we, we talked about, you know, the emotional death scenes and everything. Now let's talk about one of the best scenes <laughs> oh, yes. ever in in all of Star Wars. So, yeah, like you said, the the Rebels have, yeah, they, they've won the battle. Um, as the opening crawl of A New Hope says, you know, they've won their first major victory against the Galactic Empire. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they've they essentially won the space battle by ramming the two Star Destroyers into each other. The Empire has kind of won the land battle, except the Rebels at least accomplished their objective on the ground yeah. and stolen the Death Star plans and then, you know, forced the Empire to, to wipe out their own base. So, <clears throat> yeah, I would call that a victory for the Rebels. And now they're all getting ready to retreat And, uh, you know, make their getaway with the Death Star plans and suddenly just, you know, you see a couple rebel ships jump to hyperspace and then bam, a giant Star Destroyer comes in the other way. And yeah, you see a rebel cruiser just smash into the front of it. Um, And, you know, it's like getting it's like when uh, when you hit a bird on your windshield, like the the Star Destroyer (laughs) felt nothing
0: yeah (laughs) um like what was that
2: (laughs) yeah and then of course like you said just this cool shot of vader standing on the bridge watching the whole battle unfold and then he just turns and says you know prepare a boarding party but no this is not like the beginning of a new hope we're boarding i
0: thought they were going to i thought that's what it was leading up to
2: well i'm glad they didn't
0: oh me too (laughs) you know
2: (laughs) they could have just had a boarding party of stormtroopers blow through the door and uh and, you know, go in and start shooting down rebels. But, so, you know, so what happens is, um, you know, he shows up and starts shooting at um, Admiral Raddus' flagship and cripples it. And basically, you know, knocks out power to the ship. And you see the rebels on the ship going like, oh, we've lost power. And it's all dark in the hallways and stuff. So then Vader goes in with his boarding party. Um, and you see the Rebels desperately trying to, you know, quickly download the Death Star plans to a disc, the same disc that Princess Leia is going to stick into R2-D2 yeah. and start running back through the halls and stuff. Um, and then you just hear, you know, just sort of this this creaking noise, like they know they're being boarded um, by the Empire. But no, there are no explosions. There are no squads of stormtroopers. There's just that heavy breathing that we all know and love and these rebels looking in terror thinking you know what are we going to do and the hallway that vader has come in through just so happens that you know the the door out into the main area of the ship has been sort of jammed and so you got these rebels all kind of scrambling trying to get through the door and they can't get through and uh vader's got them cornered and then (laughs) you know in the darkness you just see that red lightsaber blade ignite and it's like oh this is going to be good yeah, it's like um, here we go <laughs> and we get pff, maybe Vader's finest moment of the entire saga i mean in terms of just you know emotional moments and stuff i mean sure there's maybe better I mean, it's still for me, like, my favorite Vader moment will always be his duel with Luke in Return of the Jedi and that whole sequence leading up to, you know, his redemption and killing Palpatine and all that. But in terms of just pure power and awesomeness and, you know, terror and, and just showing how imposing Vader is, like, this has got to take the cake.
0: Oh, definitely.
2: Like, he ignites that lightsaber blade. <clears throat> the rebels who have been trying to escape, they're like, oh, well, this is it, okay, you know, take up positions and open fire, and he just starts effortlessly swinging that blade around, knocking, you know, deflecting blaster bolts all over the place, picking up rebels, flinging them across the hallway with the force, Um, you know, I love where he, like, Uses the force to grab the one guy, pin him to the ceiling, walks under him while still deflecting blaster bolts with his lightsaber (laughs) with the other hand and then just effortlessly kind of reaches back and like cuts the guy in half as he's still hanging on the ceiling. And then, you know, there's one guy that I've had debates with people as to whether or not he actually like catches a blaster bolt and throws it back at somebody. Like, I've heard people say that they thought he actually caught a blaster bolt. I didn't see that, but I did see him definitely, like, just deflect a blaster bolt with his hand. Like, right back into a guy's chest and kill him that way. Um, You know, just cutting people down left and right. I mean, it is, you know, you're like, this is why everybody in the galaxy fears this guy. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it was another one of those moments where I'm like, this is not the, the... sort of slow, clunky Vader who dueled Obi-Wan in A New Hope. This is Anakin Skywalker gone to the dark side.
0: Yep. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome.
2: You know, it was just so incredible to watch. I mean,
0: like, If you think about it, it's probably taking him back to chopping down battle droids. <laughs> he did tons of times. Yeah, about
2: well, yeah, I was going to say, like, I could... T- it, it, it could be... You know, it, it totally reminded me of, like, him cutting down younglings in the Jedi temple or going on that rampage through the separatist base on Mustafar and killing all those guys. It was like, you know, it, it was, you know, just the same kind of stuff.
0: <clears throat> I know. Yeah. But I got the same impression that you did there where it's just, that's why I love Star Wars so much. And just everything that goes with it, the movies, the TV shows, the, the books that are now Canon, but just the history you get, this I mean, as cool and amazing as this action sequence was, as you um, so uh, put it so well in your description of it and how great it was, I just love just the history that goes with it of Anakin Skywalker and all that he's been through during the Clone Wars. Even as a little kid on episode one winning the pod race and saying goodbye to his mother, and this is where he's at now, just killing these human beings like it's nothing. And the, just the... Like You think about the tragedy and the fall of Darth Vader, but then, like you said, you think of the redemption. All these thoughts go into my head as I'm seeing this awesome display of power by Darth Vader. And that's what makes it so cool to me, despite how awesome the action sequence is. Just knowing the character, what he's been through, what eventually we're going to see later on. Because right now, we're seeing Vader, who has nothing to live for. There's Mm -hmm. no Padme. He does not... Not aware of Luke. He thinks his children are, or He didn't know they were twins, but his child is dead. She's like, he doesn't care about these rebel soldiers. He's going to take them down like they're nothing, which he does. But knowing all that that goes into that just makes that scene so much more awesome. So I just love it, just from a Star Wars history standpoint and the character of Anakin Skywalker with Darth Vader. It's just that... I don't even know if that sequence is even a minute, but <laughs> regardless of how long that is, I just had all those... Feelings and emotions thinking about that as I'm watching this sequence unfold. And it all led to probably one of my favorite shots of the movie, too. After the 10 4 escapes uh, Admiral Radish's ships, that docks away, and then you just see Vader with two stormtroopers staring out in the backdrop of a broken ship out in space. It just looks amazing it's like i want that as my wallpaper (laughs) if anything's Mm going to take away my phone wallpaper and my desktop wallpaper of the death troopers it's going to be that (laughs) image of vader with the Stormtroopers, troopers because it's like something you see in video games or a fan-drawn wallpaper concept art but you're seeing that in an actual star wars movie that looked absolutely beautiful and the music that played that was kind of a new variation on darth vader's theme and the imperial march it went perfectly so yeah all around if you're right when you're saying it's one of the greatest Star Wars moments ever for lots of reasons. So, yeah, I was had high expectations for Vader going into it. Seeing him on Mustafar was amazing. But like you said, and we were talking about, we knew there was something more, but what is it? And as we're starting to see things come to a conclusion on Scarif with the characters, you're thinking, okay, are we still going to get something? I know we have to, but what's it going to be? And I don't know what they had planned for Vader, if it changed I don't care. I think this is the best version we're going to get. This was amazing, and I wouldn't change it for anything else that they had planned or were going to do. I think this is perfect. As a conclusion to the battle on Scarif and just leading nicely into the end of the movie and, of course, into A New Hope. It's just pitch perfect. I loved it. Yeah.
2: And then, of course, finishing off that sequence um – like you said, as Vader is chasing down these guys in the hallway, they manage to, even though they can't get through the door, they manage to like hand off the Death Star plans mm-hmm. to some guys on the other side of the door. Um, they get onto the Tantive 4, they escape, and <clears throat> of course, one guy brings the the plans to the bridge where who else is waiting for him but Princess Leia? Um, again, you know, IlM with the digital face recreation looks just like Carrie Fisher from A New Hope. Um, and just a great final line of the movie where uh you know he brings her the disc, but he doesn't know what's on it, and he says, you know, what is it that they've sent us? And she says, Hope, and then the ship takes off into hyperspace and uh ends right there. Yep. I'm, like, I'm glad
0: too. It has the same uh, credit sequence on all Star Wars movie has. Yeah, like, opening without the crawl. Yeah, it's fine to make it different, but I'm still glad it had the classic ending.
2: Well, yeah, still has the same ending credits, and even though it didn't start with the crawl, it did still start with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah,
0: that's a must. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
2: Um, oh, so I was going to say my one small nitpick with this. Um, with the whole Vader sequence, and it's a, a tiny, minor thing. Yeah, I'm curious um, what
0: this is, because I don't see how anyone can have a nitpick with this sequence, but let's hear it. <laughs> well, okay,
2: it's it's actually not having to do with Vader. It's to do with the design of the ships, and the Star Destroyers in particular. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I think we've probably mentioned this before, just from the trailers and stuff, that with the Star Destroyers in this movie, they went with the Ralph McQuarrie... Uh, designs where they're kind of lighter in color like at least some of them you can see they're look more closer to white than gray but then more specifically the it's got that double decker bridge with like sort of the x section in the middle um which is not how they looked in the original trilogy now i don't have a problem with that because theoretically, you could just have two different, slightly different, you know, two slightly different versions of Star Destroyer. Um, But when Vader's shows up at the end, the second time around, I was paying attention to it. I was like, oh, I wonder if they made his like the original one from A New Hope. But no, when he shows up at the end, it's still, you know, the, the bridge still looks different. And I was like, okay, so is this a different Star Destroyer than he was on at the beginning of A New Hope or is it the same one and they just decided to stylistically make it different? And I'm like, I don't have a problem with them like, you know, making it different in Rebels or something like that. But like when it's a live action movie version of the same thing, I don't know, that kind of, it's like, is that a plot hole or, you know, inconsistency or is it just, you know, a design choice? I don't know.
0: Yeah, see, I didn't even pick up on that at all. I probably (laughs) never would have if you didn't say anything, but I kind of, I'm going to chalk it up to just being inconsistent with how they were designing it from A New Hope, and I'd rather take. That as far as it being consistent and having the expl- explanation of that, oh, he got onto another star destroyer. He had to make a pit stop, then he got <laughs> <laughs> to go chase the It's Like no, it, it's perfect where he sees it escape, he goes back to the star destroyer, and he immediately sets course to chase after well, it. Well, so.
2: yeah, exactly. That's what I would assume, but then I'm like, why is it not the same ship?
0: Yeah. <laughs> see I don't even want to look for the differences now I don't want anything to will be double take it
2: but. I wanted to look for it just because I was like oh it would be cool if the last one that comes in right at the end that Vader's on if that's like the classic one that we know and then I looked and I was like oh nope sure enough they changed that one too
0: hmm. see this is probably a good reason why I don't pay too much into the exact details of the ship designs just the basics <laughs> if they look cool or not to yeah. notice know know the, like the minor differences like that.
2: Yeah, well, what can I say? Yeah. Well, I'm detail-oriented like that.
0: Well, your little nitpick about that wasn't so bad. Like you said, it wasn't the actual Vader sequel. Itself.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, and you know what's funny is I'm... I mean, that just happened to be one thing that I decided I wanted to look for and, and see if it was there. But as far as... I mean, I'm not someone who notices a lot of differences, especially, like, on the armor and stuff, because... I mean, I don't know about you, but I know there are some people who, you know, they could point out the difference between, you know, Stormtroopers from A New Hope and Empire and Jedi or, yeah. you know, Vader's costume between all three of those or whatever and I'm like, I can tell the differences between, like, ships and lightsaber handles and all that kind of stuff but to me, like, a Stormtrooper is a Stormtrooper.
0: <laughs> See, I'm on the other end. I can't tell the difference between those Stormtroopers <laughs> and their helmet designs for the course of the movies, but I think it's Just what you're mainly, I guess, drawn to and focused on, because there's so many of that cool stuff you can really study and get details on in the Star Wars universe, whether it's ships, weapons, or armor. That's what makes it so great.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, But anyway, yeah, so we made it all the way through the the movie. I did not plan on this being a three-hour plot synopsis with us just giving commentary (laughs) along the way, but hey, I guess that kind of works out.
0: Yep. They got most of the, all the cool points across that we wanted to talk about. Although I do have a few more. I don't know if you want to say that for where we wrap all our final thoughts or not, but...
2: Well, man. I mean, I was going to say we can kind of just get to that now. Um, I mean, since we got all the way through the movie, but... Um, so let's see. Uh, favorite moment besides the final Vader scene.
0: And I guess I should take out the Mustafar one, too. <laughs> Anything with Vader. You yeah, know what? I guess. I'm gonna go with, and I might be the only person who thinks this, but I love the skirmish on Jeddah that battle sequence. And I will say, mm. I like that better than the battle on Scarif, the ground battle. <laughs> I know I'm, some people might think I'm crazy because it's all and short, <laughs> but I just really like how it was something we haven't seen in the Star Wars movie before. It really captured that guerrilla warfare style of fighting with Saw Gerrera's rebels, the way they, you know, had their strategy set out to hide in the balconies and towers and hidden alleys in the street to make their attack run on the stormtrooper convoy that was there in the hover tank i just love how that action sequence took place it felt very real and at the same time too it wasn't the stormtroopers yeah a lot of them got taken out but they took out a good portion of saw's rebels too which was nice to see actual stormtroopers not dead troopers or stormtroopers, actually take out some rebel soldiers which was cool and the hover tank pilot he looked awesome and seen him take down that tower or one of their snipers was that was awesome so just that whole battle sequence i just love how it was in tight quarters uh, you got stormtroopers taking out some of the saws rebels but yet it felt very real and a new style of warfare in star wars that we haven't seen too often then you get the atst coming in which doesn't get destroyed but establishes some order <laughs> on the streets there and it cultivates into the awesome action sequence with cheroot taking out those stormtroopers we didn't talk too much about that but I tried to stay away too much from that uh, sequence and trailers and TV spots because I I knew it probably wasn't going to be too long and I wanted to save a good portion of it for the trailers and <laughs> it was pretty awesome seeing him take out those stormtroopers with his staff and then even using that one stormtrooper for a shield and uh, typical stormtroopers <laughs> they won't even stop shooting they're missing true but they just kept hitting that one trooper he had held mm-hmm. it was like that guy was getting blasted and it was just a really fun sequence. Seen him take out the stormtroopers in his fighting style, which again for a Star Wars movie, we never seen like martial arts like that taking out troopers. So that was really cool. I just love that whole Jeddah sequence. It's probably my favorite part of the movie after the Vader stuff. I thought it was really well done and something different for Star Wars.
2: Yeah, and I love his little humorous quips in there too. Like when he, um, I think he like j- disarms one stormtrooper and then just sort of like jams his his staff into the guy's foot while he's like punching or kicking another stormtrooper and he's just kind of like is your foot okay um, yeah <laughs> that's
1: right
2: <laughs> or something like that um, yeah let's see but as far as well, okay if we're, if we're going without either of the two Vader scenes um, I mean I would say I don't know if I can pick just one other favorite, but I might have to say it's a tie between like the two, the 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 ending sequence and the scene on um, Jeddah where the Death Star destroys it. You know, just sort of both of those sequences we talked about, where um, you know, just juxtaposing sort of the the nice emotional, um, yeah, you know, the the emotional impactful moment with the sort of impending doom of the Death Star looming in the distance and the way that the music just sort of nicely accentuates all of that, I thought that was just some, you know, really nice bit of filmmaking. Um, you know, I thought, I mean, it, from from a filmmaking perspective, I, I thought Rogue One had some of the best, um, you know, some of the best visuals and editing and, um, you know, just sort of ways of intertwining all of those elements. Um you know that I feel like we've maybe seen before in Star Wars and I'm not saying that you know all the other Star Wars movies you know didn't look good or you know whatever just you know some some nice creative touches um from the filmmaking team on this one that I really appreciated
0: yeah definitely and another thing <laughs> I wanted to bring out too was having read catalyst I was eager to see how much of that would play into you know the actual story and if it, my enjoyment of it I actually think it it helped a lot it just not going to say it would have been like bad without it, but just added to the, the enjoyment of certain characters, especially uh, Galen and Krennick. that whole opening sequence with Krennic coming to confront Galen and his family. You had a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot, but I think you got more out of it if you read the book, because he says uh, to Lyra when she comes out, Oh, Lyra as troublesome as ever. And for those who read the book, you know exactly what he's talking about hmm. for some of the trouble she caused him. And, even little things with uh Jin. i mean i knew about her being called stardust because that's what galen called her a lot in the book so that was cool that that was in there and even krennic throughout the whole book he would never call uh their child Jin. he was always saying how's how your child or your kid he would never call Jin by your name and even in that opening sequence when he's telling the death troopers they have a child find it like he doesn't tell it or find gin or whatnot mm-hmm. so just little consistencies with that that i thought was really cool and then you know just uh kind of as we know they were in contact with saw at the beginning of the movie and we know why in catalyst so i just love how it f- filled in the little gaps and just added a little more to the characters who you know maybe didn't get all that much time to explain their history and backstories but yet if you read catalyst you would know that and it improves it even more so i gotta. Want to give a shout out to Catalyst for really doing its job and being a nice setup story to what we saw in on Rogue One. Again, I know I said on the last episode, but now seeing the actual movie, it, I can just definitely reaffirm that it just added to the experience like I was hoping it would. So I really <clears> love that <throat> aspect about it.
2: Yeah, I still haven't gotten to read it yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to doing that and uh, you know seeing how it sort of adds to it after the fact.
0: Oh yeah, that's um, another thing about it, real quick too. I think we actually saw a scene from the book in the actual movie where Jin's having her dream and she sees Krennic with her parents on Coruscant or is oh, okay. having the drinks. That was actually a moment in the books where you know having them drinking some wine and Jin comes in and Galen goes to her. So that was another cool thing too. So yeah, I just loved how Catalyst was a nice uh, connection. Uh, or way to tie into it before it came out. They did a really good job with it.
2: Yeah, I will say that was one other small complaint I had with the movie, was just that that dream sequence seemed a little unnecessary and kind of out of place, because it didn't really give us any new information. Um, I mean, it was like that one shot of, you know, them on Coruscant with Krennic, and then just a bunch of, you know, rehash of you know, this, the shots that we had seen at the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah. And I mean, again, it wasn't like a really long sequence or anything. So it's not like I got bored or felt like it really took away from the movie or, you know, slowed it down or anything like that. But it was just kind of like, okay, what was the point of that?
0: I thought, it, I thought it was nice just, you know, establishing how close her mm-hmm. and Galen were. And you kind of got that idea of the way he tried to protect her in the beginning. But mm-hmm. at this time, you know, there was no trouble going on. He was just there to comfort her daughter when she needed it before she went to bed or whatnot. So I just think it was there to just establish how close they were in case you, you know, really didn't get that affirmed just yet from what you saw in the beginning.
2: Yeah. I mean I think maybe, you know, that's the thing is I just kinda got that sense already,
0: but um And we, I don't know, it wasn't I, a huge deal. Yeah, we didn't talk about him too much when we were doing going over the movie, but saw Guerrera, how do you think he was and to kinda of live up to I don't know if you had high expectations for it, but knowing that he was the first Character in animation being brought into live action. Did you thought they did a good job of doing that?
2: Yeah, you know, I... It's interesting because... I liked the portrayal of the character. Um, I mean, it didn't necessarily feel like they... It, it didn't necessarily feel like Forrest Whitaker was necessarily trying to play the same character from Clone Wars if that makes sense. And, you know, it's not like he felt completely different or anything. It's just, like, it's not like they adapted that character from the screen to the movie. Um, But I thought it was cool because even knowing that he's mentioned in Catalyst and having heard him mentioned on Rebels, um, I sort of see Saw now as not, like, Oh cool he's like this original clone wars character who gets to show up in the movies. I now just see sort of see him as just sort of like this recurring character throughout the timeline. Um yeah. Because obviously in in Rogue One he's in a much different place than he was in Clone Wars and you can see that. Um you know, you he's he's a little unhinged and he's even you know, almost a little bit Vader-ish in a sense that he's, you know, not more machine than man, but he's partially machine. You know, he's got at least one robotic foot, um, possibly two. It's kind yeah, of hard to tell because, them. yeah, they they don't match. Um, but he, they, he could just have two, you know, robotic limbs and he obviously has some sort of breathing apparatus on his chest. Um,
0: Which, by the way, in the visual guide kind of gives a hint that I think we'll find the reasoning. Well... It's in the visual guide, but I won't spoil it here. We may find that out in his appearance in Rebels, why that happens. Oh, okay. That he's there. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I liked it. I thought it was interesting. It wasn't maybe exactly what I was expecting because I was thinking that he was maybe going to join the Rebel cause and that we'd maybe get to see him um, have an action scene or something. Although, like I said, it, it did become pretty evident to me just from the trailers that he was probably not going to last very long in the movie. Um, Mm, Yeah. And that, you know, maybe his death is like a catalyst to move things along rather than him being, you know, one of the main heroes at the end or something like that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you know, hugely noteworthy necessarily. I mean, he, he didn't steal the show or anything like that, but I, you know, I definitely didn't think it was, bad, um, and I think it's it's just one of those cool little touches that helps, you know, sort of, it's just one of those connective tissues between all these different Star Wars materials now, um, you know, again, the fact that this character started in Clone Wars and now he's appeared in, or, you know, at least been mentioned in, in books and in Rebels and now is showing up in a movie and, you know, is not maybe necessarily the Saw Guerrero that we know and remember from Clone Wars, but just knowing that that character has a history that, you know, spans multiple different uh, mediums, you know, is just, you know, it's, it's cool to know that there's stuff like that in there now and that we have that possibility with characters like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And part of me can't help but be just a little disappointed that you know, this, again, might be somewhere going into it I shouldn't have thought this would be a lot of it i wasn't expecting it to be a lot but i thought we would get one or two references to his time in the clone wars given that how often they're gonna have this opportunity where someone a character who we saw in the clone wars already now in a movie and they didn't make any references to that which to me as a die-hard clone wars fan was a little disappointing and you know there was speaking of stuff that was cut uh, from trailers him uh when he was still bald in the flashback flashbacks like it was with uh, Jin was a little girl, we got that in the first trailer hearing him which we assume was talking to her saying what would you do if they catch you, what would you do if they break you and all that and even in the visual guide there's more pictures of him uh, before he had hair <laughs> just sitting on that chair and you just know he's having a conversation with Jin and I can't help but think uh, maybe that's where he mentioned <clears throat> the Clone Wars reference but I don't know I can't get too bent out of shape out of that because I do agree they did a great job of Portraying the Saga Rera, we knew from reputation and some of the stuff you mentioned, like in Rebels and At- Catalyst, like I said, and even the Bloodline novel about Princess Leia, he was mentioned as a rebel extremist. And we saw that in action in this movie, just the way his uh, soldiers operated in the battle on Jeddah, like we talked about, and even his uh, methods to find out the truth was Bodhi with that creature, um, Bodeli or something like that. I, I can't remember the oh, exact name. Oh, yeah. But, you know, going through extreme methods to find out the truth, which Google it. There you go, yeah. <laughs> um, to leave Bodie temporarily insane or to lose his mind, which uh, casting was able to snap out of it, but who knew if he would have if they weren't <laughs> there. So they definitely got the aspects down of him being an extremist that, you know, even the Rebel Alliance were done dealing with them. So mm-hmm. in the end, like you said, it was cool to have Saw in there. Uh, they definitely had the characteristics that we knew about him already displayed in the movie. And we're gonna get more connections with that, as we know he'll be in Rebels when it comes back, which is awesome. So, but yeah, a little disappointed, not too many Clone Wars reference, but in the end, I thought they still did a good job. You know, just cool to have a character we already knew about in a new Star Wars movie. So, in the end, I thought it was really good.
2: Yeah, and I I wasn't necessarily disappointed by the lack of Clone Wars references because again, I think it's just cool that we have a Clone Wars character in there. Um and we don't need to need him to you know explain his whole backstory or or you know mention all the characters that he met during the Clone Wars like for us fans who watch the Clone Wars like we know um and so I think it's just cool that you know they don't have to throw a bunch of references in to f- make people who haven't watched Clone Wars feel like they're missing out on stuff, but it's just you know for those of us who have watched it, you know we know that there's even more to that character's history than most people are gonna realize,
0: yeah, and that's. One of those moments, too, kind of was talking about with Vader and you're <laughs> reflecting about the history he had. We got that a little bit, too, with Saw, where, you know, he's kind of embracing his death coming. He just unplugs his breather, like, just accepting and puts his arms out. He's probably thinking about his sister, Stila, there, where yeah. anyone who hasn't seen The Clone Wars isn't going to get. But us as fans, that's just a little some extra for us, where, you know, that was a big moment in his life. And probably something that haunts him to that day, knowing it was his fault <laughs> that caused her death. So... Just little stuff like that, you're right, where us, even though they don't say anything, we know kind of a little extra history and we're able to put that in there to make it a little more meaningful. So, yeah, it's cool.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> okay, so we talked about favorite moments. Um, now, let's see, and, you know, we'll start wrapping up pretty soon here. But um, aside from Vader, who is
0: your favorite character?
2: Yeah, well, okay, char- wait, first of all, would you say that Vader was your favorite
0: character? And see, that's almost unfair, because of course he's going to be, <laughs> like, just, just him being in it, <laughs> It was that only that Mustafar scene? It's Vader, man, you don't get better than Vader, <laughs> unless you're Obi-Wan or Luke. But. <laughs> yeah, well, see,
2: for me, though, like, I mean, I I really, I guess I didn't know what to expect as far as, like, how much he would be in this movie and how big his role would be, Um because, again, I was expecting my favorite character in the movie to be K2 or Chirrut, like one of those two. And then coming out of it, I'm like, I wish I could say one of those two was my favorite. But Vader was my favorite. Like,
1: yeah, you know, and it's not just
2: to. because he was in there. <laughs> Even if it was just the Mustafar scene, because that was just, you know, an awesome geek out moment seeing the castle and everything and hearing him talk to Krennic. But that one scene alone, like... You know, again, it almost seems unfair to to say, like, oh, you know, Jin and Cassian and all these other guys got all this screen time and all this character development in the movie. But I'm going to say Vader was my favorite just because... Um, he's Darth Vader. Yeah, <laughs> well, because <laughs> he's Darth <laughs> Vader. But, you know, even though he was just in there for, you know, this one little scene for two minutes or something like that. But then once we saw the scene at the end where he just goes on the rampage and, you know, kills all those rebels, I'm like, I would pay another $10 for a ticket just to watch that again. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, so so coming out of it, I'm like, I was not necessarily, I mean, as much as I love Vader, I was just like, I wasn't expecting enough from him in this movie to think that he was going to be my favorite character. But coming out of it, yeah, he was the one that left the biggest impression on me. Um... So the fact, question
0: should be, who's your favorite new character? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Well, that, and that's why I was saying, like, first of all, I was curious just to know, like, if Vader, like, stole the show for you as much as he did for me. But I'm pretty sure he did for everybody. Yeah. But I, I yeah. So answer. aside from Vader, who would you say your favorite character was?
0: Yeah, going into it, I didn't think it was going to be him. But Cassian was my favorite new character out of this whole new batch because I just really loved the story they uh, – told us with him where you know him being a rebel who did whatever he had to do to get the job done just for the greater good no matter how awful it was like him killing that guy like we talked about in the beginning took me by surprise but yet it had a good payoff at the end where he tells Jin he's with her because you know all that awful stuff that him and those rebels did it cannot be for nothing we have to do this otherwise what was the point so I just love the payoff we got for Cassian and even seeing him in charge as a group and dealing with certain things and situations, him dealing with the fact he has to kill Galen Urso on the orders from the higher ups, but he's conflicted because, you know, he's already drawn closer to Jin, and he doesn't want to do that to her just yet. And just knowing that it's wrong. So I just really enjoyed his character arc throughout the whole movie. And again, it led up to that emotional moment with him and Jin just embracing each other and accepting their fates and, Just all around for the whole group of Rebels, it just really adds so much to that opening crawl where it says, you know, a band of Rebel spies, you know what it's talking about in there. And it just, the way that there were characters, probably before Rogue One is even announced, you would just think they're just a group of soldiers who happen to get the Death Star plans. Nothing too special about them, but we got some special characters in this movie. And while they're, I have to say they were all great, but Cassian stood out. To me, as the one I got invested with the most, and just uh, even with his dialogue of saying he's been in this fight since six years <laughs> old. There's are those are some stories I want to see too. We got a little hint of that, in the visual guy too. Kind of what his life was like. He was kind of more on the separatist side of things during the Clone Wars. They even said he would throw rocks at clone troopers and take and stuff like that. So it wasn't someone you know was part of the Republic saw it become the Empire and had to do something about it. He was kind of on the other side from the beginning. So. I really like that aspect and just his how his character played out I thought was great so Cassian was the one who I came away enjoying the most out of the new characters
2: yeah you know um I might be with you on that one I mean he <laughs> he definitely was my the the one I was most pleasantly surprised by um I think him and Bodhi were were probably the two that I was, you know, maybe not, like, not necessarily, I I wouldn't say I wasn't looking forward to, like, I thought they were going to be boring, but just, you know, hadn't seen a lot that got me excited about those two, and they both ended up being pretty interesting, but Cassian definitely more so. Um, But still, I don't know, I'm like, Cassian, K2, chirut. Uh, flip a three-sided coin and pick. <laughs> one. Um, okay, just since you, since you mentioned, I, I mean, since you, since you picked Cassian for yours, I'll, I guess I'll go with Chirrut for mine. I mean, as much as I loved K two, also like K two might be my new favorite droid.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I don't know. Cheer was like an awesome combination of both you know action and comic relief. And yeah. you know, giving us that connection to the Jedi and the Force in a movie that didn't really focus on them all that heavily. Um and you know, obviously we were expecting some cool action moments with it being, you know, Donnie Yen and everything. Um, maybe didn't get quite as many big action moments from him as I was expecting, but at the same time, I think it made sense the way they used him because like, you know, you you take a blind guy with a staff and you can't just like throw him in the middle of a huge war with, you know, blaster fire going on and expect him to, you know, just be like knocking out stormtroopers in the middle of the fight and not get shot, you know, like mm. you don't bring a stick to a gunfight. Um <laughs> So I thought, you know, his his first action scene there on Jeddah was really awesome. And then the way they used him on Scarif was really effective, where he was mostly, you know, kind of being the the stealthy guy, you know, taking out troops, you know, and, and clearing the way for the rebels to go like plant their bombs and stuff. Um and then once the fighting actually started, you saw him taking out more guys with his what, light bow or whatever. Yep. Um, so, you know, that was cool, too. And, of course, he's got his moment where he shoots down the TIE fighter. Um, so even you got know. cool
0: moments where you saw him <clears throat> dodging the blaster fire on Scarab, too, which is pretty cool to see. But just like real quickly, you see his body turning, you know, making sure he's out of the way of a, a shot of the blasters.
2: I guess I don't remember that.
0: Yeah, it's really quick, but it's not like where he fires and he ducks real quick back to hype cover. You just see him, like, moving and dodging the blasted fire coming his way.
2: Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I, I probably noticed that when I saw it. I just don't remember, you know, every little thing he did. But, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely, you know, one of those characters that's going to leave a lasting impression, but, you know, again, knowing that, you know, Donnie Yen was cast as him, like, we were expecting all this awesome, uh, action stuff, but the amount of humor that he had surprised me, you know, again, when he's, you know, on Jeddah when he's, like, taunting the stormtroopers as he's beating them up, and then, uh, you know, he has his, his little, uh, Back and forth moments with Bayes, where he's like you almost shot me you're (laughs) welcome um and then of course are you kidding me i'm blind (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that's
0: ever gonna get old anytime soon i
2: i would really like to know if donnie yen like ad-libbed that because it almost feels like you know like he would have and then at the same time if he ad-libbed that i'm like really like it was in the script and nobody else, you know, thought about it ahead of time that it would be weird to have them put a bag over a blind guy's head. <laughs> like, you know, um, but you know, it could have been something they, they kind of improvised on set or something like that. Um, cause I don't know, like to have somebody say like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't know, especially a, a, a sort of serious, like, Force sensitive type character like Chirrut almost felt a little bit out of place in Star Wars for me. Like I don't know if you felt that way, but um a part of me was like, that just doesn't sound like something a Star Wars character would say. But at the same time, I was like, I don't care because it's so darn funny and like yep. perfect in the <laughs> the setting that they used it in. Um
0: Yeah, honestly I didn't because I like you said, it was just because I was caught up in the moment how funny it was. But I do see what you're coming from because it's not something you hear many Star Wars characters say over the course of the movies and TV shows.
2: Yeah. I'm like, the only other character I could maybe picture saying that is like Finn. And I don't know if he actually has a line in The Force Awakens where he says that. But um, for some reason, I can like picture Finn saying that.
0: Did he say it in the TIE Fighter when they posted they had to go back to Jakku?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, like,
0: oh, you got to be kidding yeah, me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Okay, so we have seen it or heard it before.
1: <laughs>
2: okay, yeah, well there we go. So it works even better now. Yep. Um yeah, so so I will uh I'll say cheer it was my favorite with obviously, you know, K2 and Cassian being runners up. Um Also Admiral Radis was pretty cool, not going to lie. Um yeah, he didn't have like an emotional story arc or anything, but just as far as uh you know, Cool rebel commanders go. He was pretty sweet. Yeah. It would
0: have be been even better because Steven Stanton did his voice. They should yeah. have made him Ebro Gascon. I mean, he could have know what happened to him after the Clone Wars. He was a charge of this big rebel uh, ship that he always wanted. <laughs> mm, no, <laughs> of course,
2: I also wouldn't mind. A, uh, I wouldn't mind if we had like a story with Mieber Gascon and the D squad and had K2SO as part of that squad. Cause he would just get annoyed and leave the rest of them behind and like let them all get blown up in some bunker somewhere while he took care of the mission by
0: himself. <laughs> you know what? I didn't think about that, but that sounds amazing. And I want to see that now <laughs> somehow, some way get D squad back with whether it's a different uh, K2 model, it's not K2SO, <laughs> but a different type of Imperial droid like that. <laughs>
2: But, um, I don't know, what were we just talking about? You bring up Mieber Gascon, and I I lose all train of thought.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Every time that happens, yeah.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah, but just other favorite characters. Um, I mean, also, I I thought Jin was, you know, a a perfectly fine, you know, protagonist. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, kind of liked her story arc, too, of going from, uh, you know, kind of just being on her own and not really caring about, the rebels or their cause or anything like that to uh, You know being the one sort of leading the charge being like hey, we got to do something about this
0: And I totally bought into you know, because even Cassian kind of calls a route out it as far as saying that We all <laughs> don't get the luxury to decide when the cause becomes real to us And but it made total sense where yeah, her father left her around when she was a little kid Of course she would have felt abandoned and saw abandoned her and she was right where it says the Rebel Alliance caused her nothing but misery. Why would she want to get involved with it? But once she saw that message from her father, I mean, we saw, but the emotion she had, that it really struck a chord with her and that she has to do this. And then seeing her father get killed in front of her on Edu, that just kind of set it in stone that, yeah, she has to do this now. And it, just a great moment of seeing, you know, the way Felicity Jones acted with that, the way she was calling out to to Galen as her papa. I don't know why. The, when children, especially daughters, call their dad papa, this pulled up the strings a little more than just saying dad or father because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so much more innocent. You just take it back to their childhood and the closeness that they had. So that was, I felt, very believable as far as how her resolve changed from not wanting anything to do with the Rebel Alliance to, like, no, we have to stop this and destroy it. And her speech to the... Rebel uh, council like we talked about I thought from the trailers and you know where she was saying like what? Tr- uh, chance do we have it should be what choice we had. I thought that was gonna get all the rebel leaders kind of you know believing in her Yeah, let's do this. She was gonna be the one to unite them But yet it, it took them to actually going out to Scarif and her leading the way to kind of you know Get the rest of the rebel fleet on board. So yeah her mm-hmm. character arc was I thought was done really well from seeing her as a little kid And all the way up to the end.
2: Yeah, definitely um. All right, let's see. Anything we haven't covered yet?
0: I don't know. I want to say no, because we're over three hours now, but I'm sure <laughs> there's something in there. <laughs> that yeah. Seen,
2: well, heck, we've got another year before the next movie comes out, so we'll have more time to come back and revisit this in even greater detail, which will kind of be hard to do, but...
0: Well, we, when it comes out on Blu-ray we can finally watch that Darth Vader scene in slow motion, just analyze all this <laughs> the oh, cool stuff that's yeah. going on of that. I'm not
2: even gonna watch it in slow motion. I'm just gonna watch it in real time over and over and over again. You know what's <laughs> funny? You were talking about like how long that scene was. And I'm like, you know, it's one of those things that's like really short, but as you're watching it it feels long. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you just, like, savor every one of those rebels that Vader (laughs) decimates, you know. And it's like, it almost feels like, you know, a good, like, three or four minutes or something. But then listening to that track on the soundtrack... and Let me pull it up on my iTunes real quick. Um, I think it's
0: barely over a minute or something.
2: Yeah, it's really short. So it's, um... Yeah, the track is called "Hope." It's a minute and thirty-eight seconds long, and it's like, but it's it starts with the music of Vader killing all those rebels, and then it ends with, you know, the Tantive Four taking off and then bringing the Death Star plans to Leia. So just that scene of Vader, you know, cutting down the rebels is probably like only a minute long, if that.
0: I know it's kind of weird when you first hear that track and you know it's titled Hope, but it doesn't sound like a song would be called Hope the way the yeah. music plays when Vader's chopping everyone down. But like you said, it leads into the moment with Leia, and it could not be called anything else but Hope. But it yeah. just sounds a little funny when you hear it at the beginning of that track.
2: Yeah, but um, you know, it's been weird like listening to it and being like, you know, because obviously when you don't have the visuals and you know, sort of the whole. Atmosphere of the scene to go with it, the music tends to just go by a little bit faster, you know? Like, yeah, it's like you hear the music and it's like, oh wow, is that scene really that short? Like, it feels so much longer when you're actually watching it and seeing the stuff going along with it. But if that's all the music that there was from that scene, like, man, that was quick.
0: Those haven't seen it three times now. I mean, I'm getting a little better as far as picturing the scene play out in my head when I'm hearing that soundtrack or that track, uh, from the score, it's not perfect yet, but certain moments I'm able to picture what the stuff Vader does. I'm almost there. Hopefully a few more viewing viewings. Whenever I hear the track, I could just remember it, you know, shot by shot. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I'm sure if out. they
2: inserted the sound effects of the lightsaber swings, you'd be able to picture it perfectly.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I would take that also. <laughs>
2: yeah. All right. Well, I think we're just about ready to wrap up here. Um... Although I know you've got some uh you know some listener feedback stuff you want to get to I don't know about you but I'm starting to get blinky eyed and this episode's starting to get really long
0: yeah. <laughs> well they're just tweets and some Facebook comics so it shouldn't take too long yeah to hear what some <clears> people <throat> thought of the movie so right oh no right definitely
2: it. still wanna you know hear what you guys had to to say on this let's just not uh make a whole nother you know two hours out of it.
0: <laughs> which we could probably do <laughs> with each comment, we could turn it to an hour if we wanted to <laughs> but yeah so I think on Friday I put the question out on Facebook and Twitter to see what the general reaction was to those who saw it and we got some responses and I'll go ahead and start with the Facebook comments first uh, we got one from Carlos Artur- Arturo Castillo Rosales he says I loved it it feels like the circle finally closed I am happy Don't I like find your answer
2: vague and unconvincing
0: <laughs> <laughs> Man, you can just insert that. <laughs> Sorry, I just now. had to throw that <laughs> in
2: there. I love K2. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: then he could saying, those last 10 minutes, amazing. And then uh, we got one from uh, Jeffrey uh, Fishbach who says, awesome. Every single thing about it was awesome. Seen it twice. There was no such thing as a bad Star Wars. Well, in my opinion. Just another, just another perfect Star Wars film. And he says another comment, Vader, Vader, Vader. What else do you like about it? <laughs> so, you know, I think Vader is going to be the consensus of a lot of these people who <laughs> seen Star Wars or Rogue One. And then on Twitter, we got a response from Curtis who said, just simply says good and dark. And then Christopher Veer says, Vader, enough said. Then that cliche boy says a great add on to a new hope. PJ dash one says, I always have pretty high expectations for Star Wars films. This one exceeds mine. Great stuff. And then we got one from, uh, scroll up Dylan Sparks who says same level as Empire scary good so I think it's safe to say most Star Wars fans are enjoying it and that Vader was a standout. <laughs> kind of what we were alluding to or we talking about favorite mm-hmm. moments and characters I mean, it's really not really hard not to pick Vader because this is stuff we've always wanted to see with Vader and it's definitely resonating with people so it's good to hear and when the first came out I've seen a lot of reactions kind of like the ones we received here about how it's almost up there with empire and I really can't, it's hard like we're talking about, it's hard for me to rank it, but I'm just glad people are other fans are enjoying it and enjoying it so much. They're ready to put it that high of a level as far as empire. Uh, I'm not ready to do that yet. I don't think it's going to be up to empire level or even revenge of the Sith, the new hope level for me yet. It's kind of in the middle, but if it's up there for you, that's awesome. I think if you can see a new Star Wars movie and it resonates with you that way right away, I mean, what more can you ask for? So I'm definitely glad that Rogue One's having that <laughs> effect on. It seems like a lot of fans.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, for me, I mean, as long as it's better than Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, then, you know, we're good. Like, for me, I would say... I'd still probably say right now, like, Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie, closely followed by Empire, and then it's just a jumbled mess of goodness.
0: <laughs> yes, <Yeah, So>. see, <laughs> I could be controversial here and say that I still think Attack of the Clones is better than Rogue One, or at least I enjoy it more than Rogue One. What? Yeah. Let's end the podcast now and I say I enjoy it more than Return of the Jedi. Goodbye, everybody.
2: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You enjoy... Attack of the Clones more than Return of the Jedi?
0: That's what I said. (laughs) Let's, come on, bring it on.
2: (laughs) You must like sand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong, there's moments in there, yeah, I get, wow, it could be made fun of, especially that one, but man, there's a lot of awesome moments in there that I still just love. So That could probably be a whole other topic for an episode later down the line when there's Hardly any news as we're waiting for episode 8. Why I enjoy Attack of the Clones more than Return of the Jedi.
2: You should see the look on my face right now. I'm like,
0: what? I'm imagining (laughs) it because it's like you're taking forever to respond. You're just speechless that I said that.
2: (laughs) I'm just going to chop this up to the fact that you really like the Empire, so you must just hate watching them get defeated by teddy bears with spears.
0: I'm not going to lie, that plays a factor into it, yep. <laughs> that battle sequence could have been a whole lot better. And again, I'm not going to take anything away from the amazing stuff with Vader and Luke. That stuff is amazing. Some of the best of Star Wars. It's probably better than anything in Attack of the Clones, but still, as a whole, there's more stuff I just enjoy and get a just geek out more in Attack of the Clones. And you know me being a big clone guy and seeing them on Kamino, then the Battle of Geonosis, I thought was awesome. to get Yoda's first lightsaber duel and even the stuff on Coruscant and the chase and the nightclub Django Fett so there's just a lot of stuff I love about Attack of the Clone so didn't think our Rogue One discussion would lead to me talking about why I like Attack of the Clones better than Return of the Jedi but
2: here we are no no that's that's, that's interesting
0: how we (laughs) ended up there I still left you speechless Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) yeah I'm like well what do we talk about next I kind of want to just wrap up the podcast and go to bed, but I also kind of want to debate this further.
0: I I probably shouldn't have brought it up at the very end.
2: (laughs) No, because this will be... Well, this can be like our cliffhanger ending where we'll just hope jump to hyperspace. Yeah,
0: because you just said how... If it's better than Attack of the Clones to Phantom Menace, I'll be good. It's like, okay, this is the time to bring it out.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, for me, those two are just, like, easily bottom of the list. And that doesn't mean I don't enjoy them. I mean, I, I will agree with you that Attack of the Clones has some awesome moments, and so does Phantom Menace. But it's just, I mean, I love all the Star Wars movies. And in, you know, trying to untangle them from the big jumbled mess of awesomeness, it's like those are the two that I'm like, okay, I can easily pull these two out and put them at the bottom of the list. And I can easily pull out Empire and Jedi and put those at the top of the list. And then there's still just a big knot in the middle.
0: That's why it's always hard for me to rank these officially. They're going to change. I mean, I think my two are, my top two are or Je- uh, Empire and Revenge of the Sith. But then even Force Awakens or a new hope. They're kind of go back and forth as my third favorite. So it's always gonna change but yeah it's always hard to rank that's why I, (laughs) i can't even don't even know where i'd put rogue one right now but
2: yeah i don't either
0: best to leave that to another day
2: yep um all right well i was gonna say do we have any final thoughts on the movie but i think over three and a half hours worth of thoughts is good enough for one night don't you oh yes (laughs) yeah um well thank you guys for tuning in uh to any of you who made it all the way this far to the end of the show you deserve like i don't know xbox achievement or something um (laughs) is this our longest episode yet i don't know it might be i'll have to check after we get done
0: but i gotta compare it to the force awakens one which i'm pretty sure was the one that holds the record as our longest episode
2: yeah probably um but anyway uh yeah thanks again guys for tuning in uh always a pleasure to have you here listening to us uh and you know thanks to you guys of course who chimed in on facebook and twitter and you know added your comments to the discussion and stuff um i don't know maybe next time we should like have a debate episode we'll have people chime in and say which is better return of the jedi or uh attack of the
0: clones well um, i think you're gonna win that easily i, I think tim <laughs> you
2: will lose
0: <laughs> If I can get some support, I'll be thankful, but I won't expect to win.
2: Um. But yeah, you know, it's it's always fun, uh, you know, just being on here, rambling away, and talking Star Wars, and uh, of course, always great when we have a new movie to uh, to review and discuss. So we hope you guys enjoyed Rogue One as much as we did. Um, and uh, in the meantime, you know, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, you can send us more thoughts, comments, questions, any of that good stuff uh, via email at TSC at gmail.com. And you can find our website at starwarstsc.com to find all our episodes and news stories and all that good stuff. Um obviously we will be back sometime after the new year uh and we will start getting amped up for Star Wars episode 8 so already looking forward to that um there've been a couple new rumors and things like that over the past month or so that we have kind of held off on talking about on our last couple episodes cuz we figured you know let's just focus on Rogue One in the home stretch here and then uh when we come back next year we will um you know, uh, round up all that episode eight stuff and uh, start getting excited for that. I don't know about you guys, but as much as I love Vader and Rogue One, I am even more excited to see Luke Skywalker finally pull out a lightsaber and do some awesome stuff.
1: Yeah. It's going to be great.
2: Yeah. So, hope you guys all have a happy holidays. Uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and, uh, you know, look forward to even more awesome new Star Wars stuff in 2017 as we prepare for. Uh, Episode 8 and all that good stuff going forward. So uh, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Uh, Enjoy seeing Rogue One again multiple times, and uh, we will see you next time, and may the Force be with you.
0: See you next time, everybody.